Hello, everyone, and welcome to Three Right Turns, because I have a very interesting and timely show for you today. Last week, we talked about police brutality and the Black Lives Matters movement. Since then, yet another unarmed black man was shot in the back, fleeing the scene where he was being arrested for sleeping in his car in the drive through lane of a Wendy's. Apparently, the police had no other recourse, despite being in possession of the man's vehicle at the time and a state-issued ID. Seems like some police work could have apprehended the bad guy in this situation. At any rate, it's very hard to believe that a situation that could have been resolved at the tow truck ended in another man dead in our streets. And protests are still happening across the country and the world, though you might not realize that, depending on your media diet, because, you know, as, as the protests have been become peaceful and respectful, uh, they have not been covered as much. And next week, I want to get back to this topic and talk a little more about some of the smart and, and maybe not so smart uh, suggestions for police reform that I've seen floating around. But but this week, I wanted to shift topics. But it's not a total shift because so many of our problems in life and politics are interconnected. It's it's a lot like trying to defuse a bomb where the wiring looks like Christmas lights that were hastily thrown into some big Tupperware box on a cold day in mid-January. Just, just a tangled mess. So this month is June which, if you didn't know, is Pride Month. And Pride, of course, is a celebration of the lives of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans people. It happens in June to commemorate the Stonewall riots in 1969, which launched the modern era of gay rights advancement. Interesting how civil rights keep happening hand-in-hand with periods and eras of protracted protesting and riots. But anyway, Cecily and I have coined the term sexual vanguardians over on our One Weird Trick podcast to describe people that exist on the leading edges of society's understanding and acceptance of their own sexuality. And while things have improved recently, for example, uh, just this week, the Supreme Court ruled for the first time ever that LGBT people qualify for the same legal protections offered by the 1964 Civil Rights Act, as many minorities already do. They can no longer be discriminated uh, on the on the basis of their sexual orientation uh, in terms of employment, housing, etc. But many still suffer some, from uh, quite severe stigma from family, friends, employers, politicians, government workers, police, and they regularly experience gaps of understanding and empathy when they try to explain their experiences and gain further acceptance in society. Now, vanguard is an interesting word. It's used, uh, you know, at least originally to describe a group of soldiers that are on the very front lines uh, of an enemy engagement in a battle or war. Being on the vanguard was a very dangerous place to be. You know, if you're in the, the rear troop formations, you may or may not see fire. You may or may not be attacked by an enemy. But if you're in a vanguard, uh, contact with the enemy is almost assured. You are going to be taking fire. And trans people, I found, are definitely in this sexual vanguard. And this status is reflected in the data. Trans people are more likely to be murdered, more likely to experience homelessness, more likely to be discriminated against in terms of housing and employment, and more likely to commit suicide than cis people. Now, if you never heard that term, cis people, cis is just a prefix that means uh, not trans. I'm a cis man because my biology, my external presentation, and my internal self-image all agree with each other that I am a man, and I'm seen that way by the broader society. Now, I said Black Lives Matters is connected with trans issues because of the concept of intersectionality. Intersectionality is a theory that states that uh, the many isms we see in society, sexism, racism, other forms of inequality and discrimination, are not in effect separate issues that can be attacked one after another. But instead, they're, they're an interlinking and interlocking system that work on both a conscious and unconscious manner uh, to oppress people. 
So, for example, it can be dangerous, as we've seen in the past few weeks, um, if you haven't been paying attention already. It's, it's dangerous to be black in America. It can be dangerous to be a trans woman in America. But these dangers intersect and make it extremely dangerous to be a black trans woman in America. In fact, just this last week, two black trans women were found shot dead, murdered in their communities. And these murders are still being actively investigated. But often it's hard to get justice for trans people. There exist in several states in America what's called the gay or trans panic defense. And that's the idea that a sexual advance by a gay person or a trans person is so psychologically devastating that a straight or cis person be- can become enraged to the point which they kill a person making a pass at them in some sort of temporary insanity kind of way. Now, federal efforts to make this defense illegitimate have been introduced in 2018 and 2019, but have died in committee. To date, only seven states in America have banned this defense, meaning the other 43 states, a defendant can still say, Your Honor, that woman had to die because despite being attracted to her, I subsequently found that she had a penis. And that seems crazy to me, but I also suspect there's probably a non-zero number of people listening right now that might bristle a little bit that I called a person with a penis a woman. Now, in America, we think of opposition to trans rights as being largely a conservative issue. You know, they're the ones on Fox News are getting all upset about men dressed as women entering into women's restrooms, etc. But in the United Kingdom, uh, there's a, a small but growing opposition to some aspects of trans rights. Uh, and it's forming in liberal circles, traditionally liberal uh, uh, circles and liberal establishments. Just last week, J.K. Rowling author of the Harry Potter series, penned a 3,600-word essay outlining her opposition to measures in the UK that aim to divorce the concept of biological sex from gender expression for legal purposes. This essay was hailed by some as just a breath of fresh air and honesty and rationality, sanity, from a well-respected voice to millions around the world look up to as a hero. But it's also panned by many others, as an out-of-touch, wealthy, white liberal lady speaking half-truths and peddling fear. On one side of the issue, you have trans people who want to be able to identify uh, as the gender of their choice before, during, and after whatever changes to their dress, exterior presentation, uh, whatever hormones they might take, whatever uh, surgery they might undertake to alter secondary sexual characteristics that they have. Uh, Then again, some trans people identify as non-binary, meaning that, among other things, They don't necessarily want to conform to society's existing ideas of what's masculine and what's feminine in terms of presentation and and how they should live their lives. And sometimes these different types of trans people can be at odds with each other because the things they want from society uh, and the things they want society to become are, are sometimes at odds. But this issue is important to them because the ability to legally change uh, their sex is central to them getting proper medical attention to their unique needs. Uh, having fair treatment and housing and employment and being able to use uh, services such as, you know, restrooms or gender, other gender specific services such as abuse shelters that are appropriate and safe for them uh, to use. But on the other side of the issue, you got people like JK Rowling who say they are gender critical. Now their opponents call them TERFs, which stands for trans exclusive radical feminists. And they're concerned that divorcing biological sex from gender presentation will cause a lot of problems in society. And many of those problems are going to be dangerous, if not deadly, to women. If anyone can be a woman whenever it suits them, what prevents violent men from entering women's only spaces, such as bathrooms, changing rooms, women's prisons, women's abuse shelters, unchallenged, and then abusing them? What prevents a man from entering a woman's sport? 
and using their superior strength, speed, size, and stamina to gain unfair advantages? What prevents men from taking high-ranking positions in women's organizations and political groups and taking credit for women's accomplishments and undermining women's rights? And what prevents a teenager from being swept up in a trendy movement and making potentially irreversible changes to their bodies that they may later regret? I very recently got a chance to talk to someone who passionately feels the same way J.K. Rowling does. Her name is Nat. She's from the U.K., and she spoke with me on the condition of anonymity because there's a lot of anger and outrage that revolves around uh, having these positions and taking them publicly. And at this point, I just want to remind everyone, uh, like I said in the very beginning, the Three Right Turns is not a safe space. And I know there's several trans people already in the Swizzbull community, and I expect for you that this could be a difficult and painful conversation to listen to. But it's not an uncritical interview. Uh, I hope I did a good job in my defense of trans people, and I would welcome any criticism that uh, any might have as far as the the positions I take and the arguments I use, because I can always uh, use to do better. Personally, I believe Nat is a good and decent person, uh, the exact same way that I believe that I was a good and decent person in my former conservative years, when I very passionately argued against the rights of gay people when it came to their right to be uh, have a legally recognized marriage, uh, their rights to adopt children. Uh, and that's essentially where we're going to begin the conversation. But we're going to get around to covering a lot of ground and what's going to probably be a long and wide ranging uh, discussion and debate about these issues. Now, this is a very cutting edge kind of sexual vanguardian type of topic. And unless you're extremely well versed on the subject, I think you're going to learn a lot. You might have follow up questions, which is OK. Send those in to 3RT at Swizzbold.com and we can talk about it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Nat from the U.K. Uh, maybe we can start there because I know that you like in the you sent me a very um, very articulate long and passionate long <laughs> and with with many sources cited um, you know because yeah I, you, you picked up on what I said in my intro podcast which is you know I think that uh, there's all types of ways to be a good man um, you know far too often I think uh, leftists and liberals uh, especially men are dismissed as kind of effeminate and weak and um, you know soy boys etc and I wanted to be kind of um, uh, you know, a more traditionally masculine voice that says, no, nah, that's crap. You know, you can you can be whatever kind of man you want and still have your thoughts and your political feelings and all that kind of stuff. And I mentioned that, like, uh, you know, uh, even a trans man could be a good man. And I, I knew I was uh, I was inviting the debate. And that's what I you know that, that those first few podcasts was essentially me um, trying to bait out um, dissent that I had sensed within like the bald move community with different positions I'd taken. Um, and you know, I had some of these conversations privately with people in email. I'd you know argued on the forums with people. Um, but it was always tough because I have very limited amount of time and like engaging in like a real back and forth. Like imagine if I, you know, we're going to talk for like an hour. How long do you have tonight, by the way? Yeah, as long as you need. Okay. So we might talk for an hour, hour and a half or so. Um, and that's great. But like, imagine that happening like an email over the course of like, you know, a couple of days and then imagine it happened 20 times. And it was increasingly frustrated when I, people would come into me and be like, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't like or agree with this, what you said. And sometimes they were nice about it. Sometimes they weren't nice about it. But I was frustrated because like a lot of times I just have to let that go because I'm in a busy place in my week. It's like I just don't have time to like roll up my sleeves and, you know, explain to a traditional Catholic why uh, a pride parade is not as offensive as, you know, denying a gay person's right to be married or whatever. Um so, and I kind of want to start that pre because you, you sent in, you know, you thought that, uh, I am a good man. I'm a good person. And I appreciate that. Um, and you certainly presented yourself as someone who's not hateful or not thoughtful in, in all my conversations I've had with you thus far. Um, so, 
Uh, and I think you have a concern here. And when good people have a concern, that's something that we should always you know, take seriously and be able to talk it out in society. But as a kind of a preamble, um, do you, I, I, I guess, do you think that, um, so I, I grew up in this like, you know, religious institution um, that did not paint a very flattering picture of like gay people, for example. But if I think back, I always think of myself as like a good person. Like when I was six years old, when I was like 16 years old. I was 26, 36, whatever. Like, I always think, like, okay, you know, I was pretty compassionate. I was pretty caring. I was like to hear people out. But yet I also held, you know, what I would consider now to be kind of offensive viewpoints. Like, you know, I used to, and I've mentioned this before in podcasts, I used to be uh, what people describe as homophobic, right? Um, I wouldn't have described myself like that, right? Um, You know, because I didn't fear or hate gay people. Uh, but I grew up in a community that thought like gay people uh, were just in opposition to God. And anytime I heard anything about gay people, it was always like something bad. Um, you, when I saw gay people portrayed in the media at the time, keep in mind, we're talking about the 80s and, and 90s. They were either like objects of buffoonery, like, you know, like, oh, look how silly this person's being. Or they were like the evil antagonist of, of the story. Um, and then like when I think particularly like the religious media, like the books and things that I consumed from within my organization, like gay people were really always portrayed as these like very ugly diseased drug using kind of loser type people. Um, but you know, I've since come to appreciate that, you know, that was kind of like a one-sided view of a very broad community. And I remember like, this is all very fresh in my mind. Cause like, uh, when I was watching David Simon's the deuce, you know, that was like the, the same time that, you know, while I was seeing these depictions of these like sad, ugly men in shabby clothes and these dark, dingy drug dens engaging in all this depraved activity and my religious, like at that exact same time, you see like life on the deuce and how kind of vibrant and colorful and liberating and freeing it was. And I found that like I was only getting like one side of that kind of thing because of the environment I would found myself in. Um, so when in my early twenties, I started becoming, you know, politically aware. And, you know, one of the big issues of the day was like gay marriage. My first thought was like, man, are these people for real? Like they can do and think whatever they want. That's just between them and God. But now they want to attack the fundamental unit of our society, the family. They want to adopt children. How is a person supposed to grow up with two dads or two moms and be like any kind of balanced person? And there was like tons of studies I could cite, you know, um, there was, you know, like, like there, there, it wasn't nothing that I based my opinion on. And I considered myself at forum. In fact, I won a couple debates. I'd like to think between people who were like, you know, trying to advocate the other side. Um, but I kind of, I really feel like a real asshole about that now, obviously, because, you know, I got to learn about gay people and their experiences and all that kind of stuff and their struggles and their joys and see them as kind of real people. Um, so I just kind of wanted to, you know, that was such a formative experience and it's kind of been something that's guided me as a light throughout some of the other, because like, you know, the first time I heard of trans issues, I was pretty, dis- I wasn't dismissive, but like, I remember the very first time it was like, I think on a lunch with Jim and Aaron or something, um, someone made mention of that. And I said something like, uh, well, you know, I used to think a bunch of garbage about gay people. And it was from a place of not understanding and kind of ignorance. And like, I don't understand trans people, uh, but I know enough that like, unless they're bothering me, then I'm not going to, I don't have any problems with them. And I thought that was a pretty egalitarian kind of like woke take. And then a trans person emailed me and said, they appreciate that they're, you know, that I'm not like actively antagonistic against their viewpoint, but they really encouraged me to kind of dig deeper into the issues and learn about it because, you know, um, there's only so much you can understand, like, like, a, like a shallow acceptance of someone or like, hey, you know, you keep your side of the street, keep in mind, um, leaves you vulnerable to like, you know, later on having, 
you know, misinformation put in front of you and le leaves you vulnerable to like having things that confirm your gut, which is, oh, this is weird and different and uncomfortable, be reinforced, you know, because of all of our inherent biases and information that might, you know, uh, de-stigmify and demystify and humanize be shunted out by those same processes. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll f learn about getting trans people. Um, and that kind of repeated a little bit like two years ago when like non-binary um, presentations started coming under rate. Like I felt that kind of like hackles raise of like, oh, God damn it. I just wrapped my head around this one thing. And now here's a whole other issue. What's um, so I just want to say all this to say that, like, if I don't know how this conversation is going to go. Um, but like, I, 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 what I'm trying to say is like, you know, if, um, I, I don't think of you like, no matter how it goes, I don't think of you as like a bad person or a cruel person or whatever, because like, um, it could turn out that like, I am misinformed about things and I need to do more reading and research and I need to listen to like concerns of women, but also could turn out that like, maybe you're a little circa 1989 Aaron on trans issues. And whichever those, whichever that goes be, I was like, I think we can, we can all still agree that like it, our intrinsic goodness or worth as people, you know, like, like, uh, I guess I'm just trying to say all this in case, uh, to try to ward off things being heated because, or, or like if, um, any of this comes off as a personal attack, cause I don't intend it to be that way. Okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, no, I think a, a, a vigorous debate is, is fine. Um, and no, I appreciate that. So from my perspective, my, my bit of preamble, where I'm coming from. So I've always been a leftist politically. Um, I have voted for all of the, well, probably not all of them, but most of the left-wing parties in the UK in my time. I've voted once for the Green Party. I voted quite a few times for Labour. And I have uh, voted for Liberal Democrats. I even campaigned, helped campaign for the Liberal Democrats in the, in the heady era of Nick Clegg. And I'm sure some of your transatlantic uh, listeners will know who he is. Um, you, you probably do too. Um, so I've always been left-leaning. I've always had quite a kind of, um, a so I always felt social responsibility quite strongly. My parents instilled that in me from quite an early age. I've done quite a lot of volunteering over the years uh, with refugees and unaccompanied minors, for example. Uh, I've worked on setting up events for local businesses to help them network. So quite a broad range of things. And um, at the company that I worked for most recently, I led the women's network there and we campaigned for things like setting up a mother's room so for women who are breastfeeding to go and pump while they're at work um, in privacy and um, we also managed to double the maternity pay as well so that was something that we were really proud of so I've always considered myself to be really socially minded considered to, uh, myself to be a leftist and um, you know very much sort of been brought up that way as well and um, I also admit I, I was fairly ambivalent about uh, trans ideology or trans people and I think you know maybe some clarification of terms also be helpful in case we talk across each other. But when I'm talking about trans people, it's a very broad umbrella of people. Um, it's a very diverse community. It's not a homogenized group by any any means. And uh, certainly not one opinion um, that exists there. There are very broad opinions. For sure. And yeah, absolutely. And so um, I was fairly ambivalent as well. And then I started noticing things that concerned me. And I've come to this point now where I feel really worried about what I see as this ideological capture of institutions, um, like places of learning, uh, medical community, um, police, even even language and, and definitions and the way that we use language. Um, and so I and I do have some concerns about uh, the pervasiveness of, of this ideology based on some of the things 
um, that I've seen and that I've heard and that I've educated myself about. And I guess one of the key moments for me is where I started to get, I mean, yeah, I suppose there have been a number of things over the years where I've sort of thought, hmm, that, that doesn't feel quite right to me. Um, and we can get into all of those. But the, the thing that really stood out to me was when I saw uh, Megan Murphy being deplatformed in Canada last year. Megan Murphy is a gender critical feminist in Canada who um, spoke out against Bill C-16, uh, which is now, of course, law in Canada. Mm. So she she came um, into to the public's attention and really because she was willing to speak out about this. And this was considered to be quite a controversial thing to do. And she garnered a lot of attention by being um, booted off Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, no, uh, for um, naming a, uh, I, I think we can say who it is, Jonathan Yaniv, um, the transgender woman in Canada who tried to take uh, some uh, beauticians to court because they were refusing to wax his male genitalia, uh, which he was asking. He was asking for a Brazilian, which is a, a mm-hmm. feminine wax <laughs> for, for, for feminine genitalia, female genitalia, should I say? And um, yeah. Uh, they, these women, he, he um, targeted these women. They were uh, working from their homes, many of them, um, many of the immigrant women, when they refused to do this. Um, he then tried to take them to court, saying that this was a contravention of his human rights. Um, and she was willing to, to uh, you know, name him in, on Twitter. She then got kicked off Twitter for that. Um, and, and all this led to, I think they, were, they wanted to put on an event in Canada to talk about gender identity and to talk about... Um, uh, what this means for women and girls, for for women's rights. They weren't. They didn't want to talk about trans people. They wanted to talk about specifically the rights of women and girls and uh, sex sex based spaces and what the impact of that might be. And um, yeah, they found it very difficult to put this event on. They were. They ultimately had it in the public library, I believe. Um, and the library faced a, a great deal of criticism from the local community and even the mayor. I think. Uh, wrote about this and, and uh, was critical of it. So I, I, I saw this news article about it and I thought, why? What? You know, it was, a, it was um, some footage of Megan walking into the library and there was this huge crowd of activists outside sort of screaming and, and shouting. And I thought, what, what's going on here? Why, what could she possibly be saying that's so appalling? So I listened to it. I listened to her talk, the half an hour or so that she spoke. And I must admit, I didn't find anything in there that was offensive. At no point did she say, you know, that trans people shouldn't have rights or that she didn't dehumanize anybody. What she was talking about um, is women's rights and sex-based spaces. And, um, you know, that we fought very hard, that women have fought very hard for those spaces. um, And that if those spaces are threatened, then that puts women and girls in a position of, of, um, you know, danger. In some instances, right? So, um, so this is what she was she was talking about. She wanted to have a frank and open conversation about uh, gender identity and what it means. Um, what, what? How would you define it, gender identity? Well, I just wanted to maybe back up a little bit because also um, I'm at a, we're, we're at a couple of disadvantages here because uh, I don't want to come across as a man dismissing a woman's concerns about feminism. I mean, that's a fucking parody <laughs> of itself, right? So, like, uh, sure. uh, but uh, I don't, you know, I am a man. <laughs> you are a woman. Uh, I do claim to be, I, I do uh, try to be a feminist, try to be a good feminist. Um, but um, I, I just want to say that's I'm somewhat of a disadvantage. And also, like, you know, I'm a, you know, I was a shit-kicking, backwoods, corn-fed, God-fearing redneck, and 
you're a, a atheist, very highly educated, uh, uh, the British liberal feminist, and uh, there, there's all kinds of like different disconnects here. But I want to come into because um, you say you have no problem with trans people, but um, you mentioned is it uh, she styles herself as Jessica Yaniv, right? Is that the one we're talking mm-hmm. about? Um, yes, that's right. So, what is the deal with misgendering or or, or or yeah, misgendering Jessica here? Is it not okay to just say this is a trans woman who did bad things because I, I I've looked into the Jessica Neve situation and I do think that uh, what she did was pretty deplorable and you do have that like sometimes in, in certain communities. I remember, um, uh, you know, and this is just off the top of my head, but one of the things that, uh, I remember being offended at, um, was like, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, for example, uh, was a gay man. And one of his victims was returned to his custody because he, they, you know, this guy who had a hole drilled in his head and acid put into it because Jeffrey Dahmer's just crazy trying to mind control this person. And he, he escapes. He escaped from this serial killer. He goes to the cops and then the cops return him to Jeffrey because they thought this was just a, you know, a gay lover's squabble quarrel. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what an injustice. Look at all this stuff. But the reality is Jeffrey Dahmer's just a crazy asshole. Like he's yeah. not an indictment against all gay people. Why is it that because Jessica Yaniv, um, you know, you want to call her him what James Yaniv and, and say he's a man, Jonathan Yaniv, Jonathan Yaniv. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't think that's misgendering. He was using um, Jonathan at the time on social media. He was he okay. was using multiple multiple personas on social media at the time. He was calling himself Be, both Jonathan and Jessica. But you get to my general thrust. It seems like mm. um, there is a lot of trans women behaving badly. Uh, or, or, or some of this boils down to a trans woman behaving badly, doing criminal things. And yeah. for fear of that, we want to, you know, uh, make it very clear who's real women and who are, you know, quote unquote, pretend women. Um, I think that's it does. It, it, it feels kind of like, uh, you know, smearing an entire community with a with a very with a very large brush with uh, like a very few interactions. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I, 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 obviously I, I see what you're saying. Um, he's a bad he's a bad actor, clearly, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't think that anybody in the trans community, certainly not anymore, would be supportive of of, of Jessica or Jonathan, however you want to call him. Um, so I think he's I, I, he's become a bit of a boogeyman for sure. Um, but and you see this in a lot of minority communities. Like uh, there's a kind of a fairly big one going on right now with uh, Sean King. Um, what appears to be fraudulently raising a whole bunch of money for Black Lives Matters and and other leftist causes and and just pocketing it all. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't say that like every black activist is you know out there grifting people and trying to steal money. Um, it just feels weird to like like for example, um, do you think that uh, Jessica Yaniv uh, does not identify as a woman at all, or is there is there like a possibility that she can be a genuine trans woman and just be criminal <laughs> and be nasty? <laughs> Uh, a, ba- a, I mean, a bad person to me it doesn't really matter how much uh whatever wh- whatever jonathan or jessica yaniv identifies as i'm not really bothered about that but um the fact is that B- bill c16 gives somebody like jonathan yaniv access to spaces that they wouldn't have otherwise so it, I, I, it, it doesn't really matter to me i think people should live and let live and identify as the as they want and dress as they like but when it starts to impact on government policy and on legislation is when I think we ought to say, OK, um, is there a conflict of rights here? What is the conflict of rights? What is the impact? Right. And can we measure it? Is it measurable? 
um, and then then figure out okay well what's what's the best course of action and um, for me it seems like you know the sex-based spaces have existed uh, for a long time for very good reasons mm -hmm. some of them are to do with safeguarding so let's crystallize it to somewhere like uh, schools for example mm -hmm. right um, so I don't know how it is in the in the US exactly, but certainly schools in the UK seem to a number of them seem to have been captured by by the ideology, and I'll call it that um, because, as I say, I don't believe that this is just trans people who feel or, or all trans people who feel like this. In fact, it's the activists, the lobbyists, and it's very much embedded in, in left wing policy, poli um, politics now. So, if we look at the schools um, in the UK, we have seen very recently uh, trans toolkits being rolled back in schools because parents and children actually have raised concerns about the impact of these What is a uh, trans toolkit? Tool Can you explain? So a trans toolkit is basically a, a policy document that is not kind of official government policy. It's usually created by organizations who have particular interests like LGBT organizations, for example, um, like Stonewall or Mermaids is a charity in the UK, a very uh, big charity, one of the most prominent, prominent charities um, supporting trans kids. Mm -hmm. And um, they create these uh, toolkits that give guidance, they're you know, supported, um, they get lots of funding, they're given access to go into schools and into um, the, to the police as well and to talk to them about you know, how they might make lives of trans kids, uh, trans students in their schools uh, better. And all of that sounds really great on the, on the surface of it. Of course, we all want people to live in, in dignity and in safety. Um, but the concerns that were raised have been enough for councils around the UK to have now pulled these toolkits. And I'll give you an example of some of the, the things that parents cited as concerns. So one of the things is that if, if, it's, if there's a situation where there is a child who feels that they, have, that they would like to identify as trans and they would like to be called by the name of the opposite gender and they would prefer to use the facilities of the opposite gender and they would like to do this, and they talk to their teachers about it, but they say they don't want their parents to know then they are, the schools are encouraged to maintain that uh, privacy for the student and not inform the parents that, that their child is being called a different name in school and is potentially using the facilities of the other, I'll call it biological sex, uh, but the other gender, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that has some really serious concerns, I think, for, for, for safeguarding. I mean, if there's a situation where anything like that is happening, then the parents really have the responsibility, I feel, to tell, uh, the school has the responsibility to tell the parents. And if there is a situation where they cannot tell the parents for whatever re reason, then there should be the, the correct organizations involved in that because that's a child safety issue that they don't feel comfortable to share things with their parents. So maybe their parents... Um, well, there could be any situation, right, where they would not want to, to talk to their parents. Well, no, I was going to think about parents are in a bad Sure. I was going to ask you, like, how you'd feel about, like, a 14-year-old girl who's pregnant and says that her father or grandfather got her pregnant and she doesn't want her parents to know. But then you'd probably say you would you refer that to the proper authorities. Absolutely. Yeah, right. absolutely. It you wouldn't involve just the be parents left. because the, the child doesn't feel, you know, doesn't feel safe. Or also, it doesn't even have to be a matter of incest. It should could be, you yeah. know, my my parents are very fundamentalist uh, Christian or other religion. And I fear mm -hmm, that they'll mm -hmm. beat me or do something else. Um, what would so I, I, I mean, Broadly speaking, I kind of agree that parents should be uh, informed of what's going on in their children's lives. But we also both agree just right now that there are instances where there's issues where that could be uh, disastrous to a child. Uh, what would be the proper authority to turn a teenager who was wanting to transition? What would be the proper? Th and, but their parents are violently opposed to that. What and and. Uh, 
you might be at harm of physical violence at home, what would be the proper authority to, to turn them over well, to? Well, the, the school safeguarding officer would be involved in that, and then they would be talking to social services. Yeah. And if it's, a, if it's a case that the child is being abused at home, then, of course, the police would be involved. And, and those are the proper authorities in that particular particular case, right? You look for, you look for another way. Um, okay, so I give you, I'll give you another example. Mm-hmm. Um, 14, 15-year-old girls um, are being, uh, well, sex education classes, right, where you talk about things like, uh, well, sex education. But um, you can have, at the moment, there is a system of segregated uh, sex education classes for certain things, like the boys might have a class about, um, you know, penises or um, wet dreams, things like that. Uh, unwanted erections, which I believe happens a lot to teenage boys. Not, not it's ever a, been there It's myself. a hazard for sure. <laughs> a girl's boy wants to talk about periods. Um, but if you're in a situation where there is a child who is identifying as the other gender, then you have a situation where you have a potentially a male-bodied person, let's say, in a classroom full of girls who are female-bodied and are most likely most of them menstruating already. And so it changes the color of that discussion. Does... It's okay. My first in, uh, reaction is it seems silly to uh, split the sex ed into genders for that, like, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, because I think there's a, you know, mm-hmm. what I see in America, because we don't really do that. Um, we kind of go, uh, at least what we did in the 90s. And I think it's something that my son's doing now when we take our, you know, health and human body classes, like we're all in there together. And we all learn, you know, like, here's the fallopian tubes, and here's the vaginal barrel, and here's all this, that and the other. Here's the vast difference on the guys and, you know, there's giggling and whatnot. But like, I think that's designed to because uh, in, in, you know, American culture, there's a lot of ignorance about women's bodies amongst men. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. ignorance about men's bodies amongst women. And it leads to a lot of things like, uh, you know, the idea that men can't be raped, for example, because if they have an erection, then they must be willing. And it can lead to like gross misunderstandings about women's menstruation cycles and, and what that does yeah. to their bodies and stuff. So... And I would encourage solu- definitely could, a lot of co-ed sex education. Could the however, solution just be co-ed that stuff, right? And then there's yeah, no... However, imagine a situation where, say, it's you know, you, it's it's not every class that you do this, but there might be a situation where, say, girls want to ask some very, um, you know, sensitive questions, like how do you insert a tampon? Or maybe I've got, a, you know, I'm having difficulty with this. That might be something that women might feel more comfortable, girls might feel more comfortable in a in a room full of girls talking about. So I think there may be some some sometimes where that's appropriate, but not absolutely not every time. Would it be like so? I guess like what's the harm of a woman, a girl, a fifteen-year-old girl hearing a guy talk, a fifteen-year-old guy talk about embarrassment from unwanted erections and and how to deal with that? And also, what would be the harm for a fifteen-year-old boy to hear about? Or I mean, that'd be much earlier probably if we're talking about uh, you know menstruation stuff. Uh, tampons i don't know my mind's been going blank about feminine hygiene uh the, to hear like a, a 13 year old girl ask a, an un- uh, a embarrassing question about uh you know their health and hygiene like isn't you're still like a like the fact that you've, you've got people learning i understand that you might have a disruptive student uh that is going to like you know make someone feel bad or call or laugh or something but you deal with that just like you would any other disruptive student like it seems like maybe it's throwing the baby out the bathwater, just be like, oh, this is all just, ah, you, you know, girls can't understand this and guys can't understand that. And it's weird and embarrassing. And we got to separate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know about harm, but certainly there are times when you might feel more comfortable talking about that with other members of your, of your sex. 
right? So it's about giving children different opportunities to have, have discussions. And whilst I'm sure they're all learning about menstruating and ovulating and all of that stuff in, in, you know, in biology and in sex ed, uh -huh. there might also be times when it's appropriate just to have, you know, uh, discussions within so, so maybe the same may, so that they feel more comfortable. Maybe you do have a breakout session after the general yeah. co-ed stuff where people can talk about things that, that make them feel maybe uncomfortable or whatnot. But like I mm. and I, we might be getting into because you, you clearly marked a few areas of discussion that you were uh, feeling were straw man arguments. We might be going into one of these here. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like uh, not every woman, the vast majority do, but every woman has a period, right? Um, if you're a young woman who has not gotten a period or won't get a period, uh, and the rest of your class is talking about them, would it be like, wouldn't, would that person just not, just not just sit there and quietly and listen to everybody else discuss? And I, I'm making the analogy of life of a trans girl. If she was in her class of, 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 uh, women and they were talking about inserting tampons and whatnot, like I would expect her to kind of. Listen. Don't you think it would be more valuable for them to be in the one where they learn about the functions of the actual parts of the body that they so so well, the boys are all off having a wet, wet dream conversation and the trans girl had a wet dream this morning and yet is in the tampon conversation. I mean, I want to confess something here, uh, Kat. I've never had a wet dream as a man. Uh, so, in fact, like that and blue balls, I kind of think are vaguely mythical things that might not even be real. But I don't know. Maybe men, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm sure they, I'm sure, I'm sure they happen to a lot of teenage boys. But, but also like, uh, so if we're talking about, um, you know, uh, like a women, uh, a, a trans woman who goes forward with uh, like hormone therapy, um, hmm. they're going to not all the time because you can't generalize about anything, but the vast majority of women doing that lose the ability to get erections. Um, they, a lot of times lose the ability to ejaculate. And if they do ejaculate, it's a much different experience than um, uh, a man who's not on like estrogen and, and testosterone blockers. Um, yep. It yep. seems like that, like the problem is, is that they, it, there is this uncomfortable situation where there's some people uh, who just don't kind of fit in any category and they're probably not going to, uh, there, there's the, maybe there needs to be a trans like uh, uh, trans men and trans women kind of puberty course. But then the problem with that, when with was uh, when a lot of you talking about making accommodations for trans people is that there's so few that like you might have a whole high school that only has one or two or you know a handful of them. Mm. Uh, and then yeah. they're like you know I remember um, you know when uh, ever we'd have a religious convocation, it would be me and two other like you know uh, 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 it'd be me. Uh, some Church of God person and like a uh, uh, an Amish kid sitting in the hallways while ever the rest of the school participated in this one thing, and I just feel like that you know trans kids already have a much higher rate of suicide and bullying and all this other stuff. That's just another level of peer pressure. So I I get that there might be awkward that you know um, we so have a, a girl in the class just just like um for example like there's uh there's women that have very large clitorises right Bi biological women. Mm -hmm. Um, that's different and weird and people would probably giggle and laugh and there'd be a lot of stuff, but like you wouldn't exclude that girl from being in the sex ed class, right? Because she's, her genitalia is different. No, it's still a clitoris. I mean, the male penis is a, is, is a, is a clitoris oh, before God. testosterone hits it. It really is biologically. We know, we know from, no, no, we know from doing lots of research on the clitoris that it's far more sensitive than the penis. Far, well, listen, far, far more that's sensitive. something that I can't have vastly more nerve endings. But, but it's a biological fact that like if you take a male fetus and you prevent it from being exposed to hormones that their penis is not going to develop properly and uh, and it's going to turn out to be a clitoris with a with a, a vulva and all that other stuff.
Like that's how like when you when you talk about intersex, which you also mentioned is kind of a straw man. That's what we're talking about when you have like, you know, hormonal or genetic mishaps. You do have instances and admittedly, they're even rarer than than trans sex people. Um, But they do happen. And since you're having to make accommodations for those people anyway, then I'm just arguing for a couple more accommodations now. Can I make a suggestion? Maybe we can step back and talk about like the core issue, which is like uh, this just just um, gender. Absol- is it gender like absolutism? Like, because I feel like that would accurately describe that, like, you know, you are either a biological male or a biological female and no amount of like surgery and hormonal will change the underlying genetics, which is a, as far as it goes, true scientific fact. Um, yes. Then where. So so why? Why is that? why do we put why do we give primacy of that in all areas of society or why should we um well i don't think we do or we necessarily should but what's the i mean how would you define gender identity how do you define a woman if you do not define her as a biological female how would you define a woman that's a great question because like you also mentioned in your email that you're like a, a gender abolitionist um, well, I mean, I've fl- I've flirted with the idea. I think it's probably highly uh, ambitious. I don't I don't I don't think it's likely to happen. Ultimately, what I am is is uh, somebody who believes quite comfortably in gender nonconformity. Okay. Gender nonconformity has been around for a, a very long time. You know, we've had you know butch lesbians, effeminate gay men. We've had gender benders. We've had David Bowie. We've had Boy George. You know, it's it, this kind of kind of gender fluidity has been yeah. around a really long time. And I'm very. Uh, positive on that i don't consider myself to subscribing to all of the feminine sort of stereotypes but if you cannot define a female and as an adult human female if you can't define a woman by her biology how would you how would you describe a woman how do you define it it's honestly a real tough question because it seems inexplicably uh, bound up in like uh, gender roles and presentations of society and that's been the interesting thing as i've like uh, found out more about trans issues like i said before just as I started wrapping my head around a person that was born as a man, and please forgive me if you're uh, a a trans activist, I'm probably not going to get all the terminology right. Uh, But like if you're born as a man and you later then decide that you feel more like a woman and you start uh, growing out your hair long, you start painting your nails, you start wearing feminine clothes, you start taking hormones, so you start growing breasts and you start uh, like uh, losing uh, some of your secondary sexual uh, male sexual characteristics like uh, hair and whatnot. Um, like I got that. I understood like the idea that, you know, you just, and I always try to try empathy. I'm like, imagine if like, like I felt exactly how I do now, but I presented like a typical woman, like that would be very confusing. And, you know, I'd probably want to transition to something that looks more like me. Um, but then when you've got the non-binary, like gender bending, gender fucks, soft boy, all that stuff, like that was really confusing to me until I realized that like, there's different objectives. A trans woman that wants to present as a traditional woman wants to inhabit that gender role in society, whereas these, these, some of these non-binary people want to, like you said, be gender abolitionists. Um, and they're at odd purposes because one person wants to just be called ma'am in a restaurant and the other person wants to dismantle gender altogether. Uh mm-hmm. And we're now in this transitional period where the society is kind of like, ah, not sure either way. Um, so, yeah, that's I just want to put all that out there. So to bring us back to what is a woman, um, it does seem like a woman is what society thinks a woman should be. And a man is what a society thinks a man should be. And that's different and distinct from female and, and male. Yeah, I mean, I would agree that gender identity um, 
is a is essentially or gender is a is a construct right i mean it, it's sort of a, basically a set of stereotypes and behaviors mm-hmm. now uh, it doesn't seem like the scientific community or, or or the academics are agreed on whether or not that is entirely constructed i guess a lot of uh, if you asked a rad fem rad feminist she would say um probably it is entirely constructed um if you ask an evolutionary biologist you'll come up with a different answer they'll say that gender roles are linked to biology and this is something that we've uh, seen developed through evolution so for example mate selection or something like that um, so so there isn't really a consensus on on this right and on it's what also, it is when, and it, when you look at other cultures you see uh, sp- specifically like you know some pacific island cultures where there's like these and the native american cultures where there's like these kind of third gen- gender presentations that are kind of built into their uh, society and it's something that's all you know like not controversial at all so I don't yeah. know. It does feel like there is something a little malleable there. Um, and also, like, you go back and look. Like, I always love to look at, like, you know, like the way kings dressed in the 17th century where they're wearing silk scarves and fancy nylons and opulent jewelry. And, fe- like, they're very uh, ostentatiously dressed and, and, and wearing powdered wigs and, and makeup and perfume. But that was, in, that was the height of masculinity back then. You know, that guy would be dismissed as a foppish dandy if he goes down the, the, the road today. But like it does feel like what is considered sexually attractive even is different amongst cultures. You know, sometimes very obese people are seen as, as attractive. Sometimes people with very light skin is seen as attractive. Sometimes people with dark skin is seen as attractive. Like there is something very malleable about all this. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you've seen that uh, ContraPoints video where she talks about, the, you know, describing it as either descriptive or prescriptive mm-hmm. um, gender. And, and I think she comes down on the side of prescriptive because it's in line with her politics, right? And yeah. I've just called her he, uh, called her, her she. So, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, I, I'm not using pronouns. Because it's like, um, to me, it's like wildly like, uncomfortable to call Buck Angel she. Because he just presents as a man, and it's very wild yeah, for me to I, I call Buck Angel like 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 yeah. I've seen that the um, that Blair White uh, Ben Shapiro mm. where he's consciously trying to call her call him and you know like like <laughs> yeah. constantly trying to like keep his like my political stances that you're yeah. a man and it's stupid that I have to call you a woman but like he looks at her and she's a conventionally attractive uh, a presenting as female and he naturally slips up and calls her she. And he has to stop and correct. It's like it's it's odd to go that far against what your gut and your your mouth is trying to do there, you know. But yeah, it's, so, so yeah. it's like maybe talking about like no Blair yeah. presents uh, presents as female, you know. I mean, there's no doubt about it. If you saw her in the street, you would certainly think she's um, she's female. Um, but so so okay. So it's it is something potentially that is quite malleable, that is um, nebulous, that we can't seem to really define, um, and so. Therefore, I mean, how useful is it really then to use to, to sort of um, subsume biological sex in, in what I'm talking about is in terms of rights and policy. I'm not talking about the general way in which we okay. rub up against each other. I'm talking about government policy. I'm talking about legislation. And I'm particularly talking about gender self-identification. OK, so, so I really don't mind how people identify in the UK. You can get a gender recognition certificate, so you can legally change your gender. Uh-huh. It's a process. It takes some time. You're looked at uh, by a panel. Um, there's assessments you have to live as the opposite gender for a couple of years um so we already have this system in place in the uk but there were some um some suggestions to a reform of the gender recognition act uh i think it was last year possibly um which would have brought in gender self-identification which i think you have in the us in maybe 17 or 19 states now 
And gender self-identification is, um, it is what it says on the tin, right? So you can wake up tomorrow, Aaron, and say, today I am a woman, I identify as a woman, sure. I live in a state which has gender self-ID, and I can access uh, female spaces, I expect people to call me she, um, and yet you're, you know, six foot something guy with a with a big beard. Um, It'd be super and, funny and yet- if I'm actually a trans man. Like, I've often wondered, it's like, wouldn't that be like an ultimate fucking trump card if I've lived this convincingly as a man all my life and I, anytime I could just be like, well, I'm actually, a, you know, uh, but yeah, yeah. But that, that kind of like goes to the point, like, isn't the reverse point true? Like, imagine if I was a trans man, like Buck Angel, for example, you mm-hmm. see Buck Angel stroll out of a lady's room and it raises a lot of eyebrows, right? Like he's- yeah, but Buck Angel doesn't self-identify. Buck Angel is a transsexual Archangel has gender dysphoria and has had surgery and a process to go through and, you know, has, has been on this journey for 20 plus years. It's not that gender self-identification didn't exist when Buck Angel, so Buck Angel started had transitioning. Top surgery, right? He had uh, yeah, gender to? dysphoria. He was diagnosed uh-huh. and he started a process of transition. What if he just like uh, strapped, a, strapped those uh, breasts down with like a binding thing? Like, I mean, why is the sur- why is the surgery essential to like you know give him full rights as a as a man or full recognition as a man? Because I got I don't know I don't, if you, you, I don't know if you can yeah. see this cat, but I, I'm rocking a nice set of B cups here. Uh, I don't think it necessarily is, but I do think gender dysphoria is something that um, really, really to me. When when somebody asks me what you know, how would I define um, trans people? I would I would say somebody who has gender dysphoria and wants to live as a person of the opposite sex. Right, gender dysphoria is a recognized clinical condition that is diagnosed um, and you know people are potentially medicated or given counseling or therapy or, or whatever it might be to help them with that dysphoria mm. or ultimately surgery and, and transition which is the right choice for some people but, but not for everybody does that seem problematic that like because that's expensive and time-consuming and difficult right like um, is it unreasonable to say that like well you're not a full man or a woman until you've had fifty thousand dollars of surgery and you've done five years of expensive hormonal replacements and all that kind of stuff like you have to you know go through this uh super long grueling obstacle course before you arrive at the destination of, of being recognized as a, of a, a man or woman um it's okay so is it i'll flip it on its head then is it reasonable to be um a male person and have the full benefit of um uh you know your male your male physiology and then identify as a woman and run against female athletes and beat them by miles no, that's a sticky wicket um the where the well that's a very sticky wig because I think that's like where the really frontier of discussion is uh, as with, with transgenders at the moment is like, um, uh, you know, what do you do with trans women who want to compete against uh, biological women? Uh, what do you do about uh, trans men that want to compete against biological men? Um, because it seems like in certain sports, um, probably a lot of sports involving strength and endurance that, uh, you know, people who are biologically man are going to have a male or have going to have a huge advantage. And I've, I've heard, I've listened to people debate this stuff for hours. Uh, and it's a, it's a genuinely difficult like decision because on the one hand, um, I don't know, maybe it's reasonable to say, Hey, you can be a trans woman and, and be a full female. The one thing you can't do is compete at an Olympic level with other women because that's not fair. Um, but like I'm, I'm cool with making that an edge case where that needs to be figured out for sure, and I think that uh, um, it's it's an issue because like the thing that because that's the proposition, right? Like if you're saying that um, trans women can't compete with women, 
Um, but they're on estrogen and whatnot. They can compete with men. They can compete with men, but they're going to be at an obvious disadvantage there because they're taking they're taking estrogen. Uh, and same way, like men, trans men can compete against men, but they're going to get smoked because you know from from people that went through you know biological puberty and whatnot. You know, yeah. I, it, I mean, just because it's unfair to that trans athlete um, does not excuse how unfair it is to every other biological female that they compete against. I read today in Time, actually, that um, I think it was actually from today, the article, that the U.S. Education Department Office for Civil Rights mm -hmm. has uh, responded to the Connecticut um, case. The U.S. Education Department Office for Civil Rights has said that it violates the civil rights of females. And so um, it, it's, it basically says that, that trans athletes running contravenes Title, contravenes title IX, which protects the rights of women and girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I, that's it's I'm I don't have my mind made up on this issue. And I think also it might be like a sport by sport comparison, you know, like uh, maybe trans women can compete uh, with women in uh, like curling um, or other things. And like shot put and, and lifting is something that you're going to have to have, um, you know, d d divisions in um, the thing that I find somewhat convincing on the trans side of the argument is at high level competitions, you're already talking about huge biological advantages that some people have. For example, you know, Lance Armstrong had a heart that's like twice the size of a normal uh, athlete, which has allowed him to have his unique technique of like, you know, high cadence uphill. You know, the, the traditional um, uh, bike rider shifts into high gear and uses like their muscular strength to go up the mountain. And Lance was he had such uh, uh, enlarged heart and lung capacity and superior ability. Yeah, that to, was a secret. That, that, well, I mean, everyone's <laughs> doping in that sport. But like, the, the, no, seriously, that he was able to essentially stay in uh, a very low gear and just like keep 120 beats a minute up a mountain all day long because he could convert oxygen to his bloodstream much more efficiently than any other athlete. Um, uh, Michael Phelps has like uh, uh, this uniquely shaped torso and also an large heart and lungs. And he's at, got an Big advantage. Feet. Huh? Big feet. Big feet. He's got. Yeah, he's got. He's got flipper feet. They've talked about this, right? That's a huge yep. advantage that he has over people that don't have flipper feet. Um, and I don't know. Like there that is. Uh, but on the, the at the end of the day, if you got a system where 50 years from now, every world record is held by a trans woman. But on the other hand, like most marathon records are held by what, uh, you know, like Nigerians and Ethiopians and people from the Caribbean. So like, do you should there be like a black athlete running division and a white athlete running division? Um, no, of course not. They're all women, aren't they? Well, we didn't always feel that way, though. Right. Like, yeah, but you can't compare this. You can't compare trans rights to the Black Civil Rights Movement in the U.S. You just can't. It's so disingenuous. It's not I a. Mean, it's not a one-to-one -one yeah. comparison, but it's. I don't think it's disingenuous to uh, appeal to essentially people feeling one way about something because that's the default opinion, and then learning through time, you know, and, and having that opinion changed. So, yeah, yeah I mean. I mean there was a very good reason why the, the civil rights movement happened in, in the U.S. and uh, the kind of the, the slavery and the level of oppression, lynching, you know, um, this is this is not comparable to the uh, barriers or difficulties that trans people face. But trans people also like disproportionately um, targets of violence, especially sexual violence, uh, have higher rates of suicide, depression like there's and, you know, the I guess an open question is, is some of that internal or some of that external? Uh, and to the extent that some of that is from society, then, you know, uh, 
Yeah. Like, I, you know, it's, yeah. it's like the same thing. You had the same thing. It's like, you know, like it's, is it inappropriate for gay people to uh, identify their struggles with African-Americans uh, or uh, black people in America? No, but also it is a civil rights, you know, kind of equality struggle. So, um, yeah. And gay people also, I, I don't think it's fair to compare the struggle of trans people to the struggle of gay people either. Oh, really? I sort of, yeah, I, I, I because what rights exactly are um, trans people fighting for that they don't have already? Uh, I think being like you said, being able to like in America, for example, it's uh, kind of a battleground issue about whether a trans woman can use the public bathroom that they feel is, you know, the closest matching to them. And I feel like that's like I would feel very uncomfortable if I was forced by legislation to go into a women's bathroom. And I feel like, you know, trans women feel the same way about being forced to go into a men's room. Um, that's an issue uh, being uh, to the extent that they, you know, need uh, hormonal or surgical therapies to uh, feel normal. The fact that like they are prevented from getting those or those are denied by insurance uh, uh, companies um, like any other therapy yeah, like that, 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 that stuff is is, I think, problematic. Um, the fact that, you know, you can fire a trans person if they go through a transition uh, they're not a protected class in America, so you can fire them if the, they go through a transition and you find that uh, appearance uh, problem pro problematic. Um, there's a lot of things that, you know, again, they're not fighting against chattel slavery, sure, but they don't have the same rights so as you can fire a cis somebody, person. And people have been fired for being gender critical. Mm hmm. Um, so, so, I mean. A lot of people you know, have been fired from gender critical. It's not just that. <laughs> I mean, when I go and look and I see the things that they like, I find that that's often described as like, hey, man, they were just asking questions and stuff. And in much the same way that, uh, and this, um, you know, a lot of like very conservative or alt-right people, you know, want to say, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not a racist. I just think that we all can't, you know, we're just not designed to live together and, you know, whatnot. And it's, it's you know, then you look at the social media and it's like, you know, we should gas the Jews and the black people are subhuman and, you know. Uh, Who's th saying that, they should, that we should gas trans people? I'm saying that if we, I mean, if, if we want to have a second round debate and we go through like these things in particular, like I'm sure there'll be some that was bullshit because bullshit happens. Like people, movements get swept up, oh, uh, yeah, lies get told, troll, people troll, all fire. kinds of stuff. But I do uh, think yeah, that like yeah, some yeah. of these cases that like I was looking at through your email, it does seem like those people um, were pretty antagonistic to trans people. And honestly, you know, like if you uh, intentionally like misgender and refuse to acknowledge a person um, in, in much the same way that like, um, you know, Cassius Clay uh, later became Muhammad Ali. And there was famously spats between sportscasters that just refused to acknowledge his his self-identification. Um, it does feel like they're, you know, um, like if if uh, was it Howard Cosell. If you tried that shit in 2020, he'd be fired. No questions asked. If a black athlete said, hey, I'm now. Uh, Muhammad Ali because I've switched religions and I've got these political stances and they intentionally named him after his quote unquote slave name or whatever. They'd be out the door. No questions asked. At some point, you know, you have a period where society's kind of debating whether something is right or wrong. And then there's a sweet side of history and a bad side of history. And the longer you stay on the bad side, the more at risk you are at being facing like social consequences. Um, so you like, you know, seen all the kill the Turks and um, uh, Nazis kind of messages. Let me just read you something that was in... Did you, you read me? Are you expecting this me to defend this? <laughs> like, I'm a pretty no, nonviolent no. person, and I think this is reprehensible, <laughs> but, like, I've actually also seen trans women beaten to death. Has a turf been beaten to death in public? Uh, not beaten to death. Uh, beaten up, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. In the so UK, that's pretty. That's pretty reprehensible. But, I wouldn't uh, uh, acknowledge. I wouldn't. You know. I. I, I wouldn't. But, but who, who, beat, who beat the trans person up? Was it gender critical feminist? I bet you a million pounds it wasn't. <laughs> but the, what, I, what, I, what I'm saying is like. For example, in 1950s America, a person could have a view that, uh, ra- you know, like uh, uh, a black man and a, and a white woman getting married is an offense to God, right? Um, and they could hold a position. They could be a U.S. senator. <laughs> they could be, you know, they, they could be they could they could uh, be the CEO of a major American company. In 2020, someone that said that out loud would be stripped from their position for sure, right? Okay, but do you think that it is offensive to state a fact? We just we just said it ourselves at the start of this cast. We just said biological sex exists. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. It's... If somebody holds that opinion, why why is that hateful? Why is that a, why would that be a hate crime to state a, a fact? It's not. Like I mean, it's like okay, why is it hateful to consider to, to continue to call Muhammad Ali Cassius Clay to his face, right? Well. He's changed his name, so the fact is that he's called Muhammad Ali now. Right. So, like, if a if a person decides to change their sexual their their gender presentation, they can't change their sex. They, they can, can change they? their gender possible. presentation. Absolutely. Yes, but what if you don't you don't subscribe to gender ideology and that you don't well, believe what if you in don't, this What stuff? if you don't believe in that the a black man and a white woman can get married and there's only going to yeah, be bad things like, that come from that? But that's like saying that um, if I should get really really offended um, and and uh, go to the police and say, oh, this person's committed a hate crime against me for suggesting for, for saying um, for having a, a problem with the fact that I believe in God or something. Right, you you should be allowed to express an opinion. Yeah, without but it, like if you, crime, especially if that opinion is a fact of reality. Uh, well, so like I don't. This is where we kind of have a disconnect because I don't think people are like disagreeing that. Uh, like for example, um, I don't hear much a tale like a trans woman going through the doctor and you know wanting like or like to go to like a a trans woman going to a gynecologist for example, um, mm-hmm. because like I think everyone notices that that they have like that there are. There are useful differentiations, you know, like if, 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 if you have a prostate, then you should probably, you know, uh, have that checked out when you get to be over 40 or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of like, but there's like, I, I thought this and you mentioned trans, uh, contrapoints, and this was a really effective line for me is like, a lot of this is like, um, if I take my child to the doctor and I'm their adopted parents, um, I would certainly make sure on all the paperwork that it's that, that they know that this person is adopted, that my child is adopted, that we don't share genetic profile and history because that's relevant. Right. But I'd be very highly offended if somebody at a party or a social get together loudly made an issue of this child being my son because you're not a real parent. You're just a step parent. That'd be highly offensive to me, even though it's a fact. And I feel like when we're talking about these matters of gender presentation, um, a person who has worked very hard to. um you know, present as a, uh, as a, as a different sex or is trying to, you know, be kind of uh, abolitionist or nonconformist. Um, their society, you know, there's societies lined up to, to make them feel bad and wrong and invalid about that. It seems like it is arising. I don't know if it should be a hate crime or not, but it does seem like a hateful act to, to intentionally misgender them or to mm-hmm. deny the presentation they're trying to go for. So have you, I think you're referring to the Maya Forstater case in the UK, right? Maybe, which is yeah. the one that J.K. Rowling tweeted about, which uh, uh, I think kind of went pretty viral at the time. And everybody's like, J.K. is a turf. Um, and then all the gender critical people are coming out saying, yeah, uh, we we knew we were all in the same Hogwarts house after all. Um, and, uh, sucks, to yeah, be, uh, I mean, sucks to be a trans Harry Potter fan in that in that scuffle <laughs> yeah oh well um yeah so the, have you have you seen a picture of the person that Maya Forstater misgendered no 
Okay, it's a man with a beard. Okay. Um, and he considers himself to be non-binary and and uh, pronouns are she or they. Mm-hmm. And he is a public figure. He's a counsellor, or was. I think he, he actually got suspended or something like that. Um, he was a counsellor for the Liberal Democrats. So this is a public figure who is campaigning for the uh, reforms to the Gender Recognition Act. Maya mm-hmm. um, data obviously, on the other side of things, campaigning uh, for the other side of things. Um, yes, misgendered him in some tweets. Um, and I just did it now. Um, and, uh, yeah... Uh, found herself in quite a lot of hot water about it and i find that quite bizarre really was she defiant about it once he she uh this person said i'd prefer to be called a woman was she Actually, like she apologized i think yeah. okay because i because like i said and again you know uh you, you hear the legal axiom the bad case makes bad law like every once in a while you're going to find a situation where like one side or the other is just being an asshole and it makes you know like if, if you're we're, we're looking to pick examples where you know, someone accidentally misgendered because, you know, it happens like I, you know, I was at a gas station recently and I manned somebody that uh, was very clearly uh, a sir uh, when they turned around. And I felt like a real asshole about it. Um, just like, you know, that 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 sometimes happens. But then, like, if I were to double down and like every time I came in his gas station, you know, ma'am it up to this person, that would start like that person could be forgiven for thinking that I feel ill will towards them. So like, make sure you're not in GameStop while you do it. I don't uh, yeah, I I'm I'm kind of getting to be Warhammer but did they have some kind of uh, is uh there, are they a battleground in the turf wars here that we're having? The it's ma'am guy in the in the games in GameStop who got very angry and aggressive and started knocking things over but anyway um But that's so, a, oh, no, that was yeah that was on the most recent ContraPoints video. That that's kind of my point is like if you look for uh the angry irrational ugly trans woman uh that's hmm. you know being uh high taking high umbrage of being misgendered you're going to find them for sure but you're also going to find a hell of a lot of uh, people that are trying very hard to fit in uh and and be perceived as what they are and being maliciously uh dead named and misgendered uh for no good reason than to make them feel bad all right like yeah. a person that's misgendering... i don't think it's nice to be a dick obviously i mean i think everybody should try and get along with each other and, uh-huh. and as i was saying at the start you know most trans people um or, or the trans community themselves as a, as a broad umbrella and there are some people who probably wouldn't mind being misgendered there are other people who would take it very sure. much to heart and and so and so yeah i think in any society you have to be kind you have to be mindful um but if it if it becomes a situation that you end up getting investigated by the police for doing things like this it becomes a hate crime um and the, the police are essentially um well a thought police mm-hmm. because um ultimately all you are doing is saying something that you believe to be true but you know to be true and it, uh, everything else is really just a question of politeness within society do you think that there so let me ask you this do you think there sh- do, do hate do, do hate law or hate speech laws have a role in society well i'm pretty much a free speech abolu- uh, uh, absolutionist uh-huh. so i i don't know how i feel in about hate speech in the main i i have looked at this quite a bit recently and it worries me a lot in the uk um there doesn't have to be any evidence for, for a crime to be recorded as a hate crime it just has to be one person's word against the other. i don't think that's true that can't like I, that, but, that's the fear of all these things like like for example jordan peterson i'll lose my job as a professor i'll get drummed out of college if i accidentally sir a ma'am or ma'am a sir it hasn't happened to a lot of people in fact, I don't think it's actually happened uh, to one person that they've been fired for accidentally misgendering someone. Like, I, I, this was true as of six months ago. I haven't looked in it since. But, like, in Canada, specifically, it is not, no, no one has been lost their job for unintentionally misgendering someone. Maliciously, mm-hmm. doing it as a campaign for a particular class, for a particular student over so, so, uh, a semester or whatever. Yeah, you can probably lose your job for that. But, you know... 
Yeah. Well, okay, I'll give you a few more examples of, of certain things that have happened in the UK. So uh, an example, a guy called Harry Miller, um, you can look him up. This happened quite recently. He took his court, his case to the high court. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was quite active in the gender critical circles on Twitter. He um, was tweeting quite a lot. And um, I mean, you know, the, the tweets are available for anybody to, to read them. I don't find them particularly hateful. I mean, they're certainly expressing a strong opinion one way or the other, but they, they certainly don't advocate for any violence. And that's what I think hate speech is really, is advocation of violence against somebody. Um, what happened to him was he got a phone call from the police who rang him to, in his words, check his thinking. To check his thinking. Since when is it the police's job to, uh, to look through people's tweets and then phone them up to check their thinking. If a crime has been committed, you ask them to come in and have an interview. You arrest them if a crime has been committed. Essentially, he's, uh, what, 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 we're say- what we're seeing here is the thought police. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing here is some sort of Gestapo, Stasi-style um, style, uh, style policing. I mean, frankly, I, I think the police have probably got better things to be doing. Um, another example is Posey Parker. She's a very famous kind of... Uh, Uh, gender critical activist in the UK and um, she was also interviewed by the police for uh, misgendering the son um, now daughter I suppose Uh, he's he's, uh, had the surgery um, and is fully transitioned in terms of uh, kind of social transitioning Uh Um, has 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 uh, she was talking about um, she she misgendered Susie Green who is the CEO of Mermaids uh, a child. So she was investigated by the police for this. She had to go in and make a statement. Um, I think she also said some other things on Twitter. She she was quite direct in describing what Susie Green had allowed or, or had enabled her son to do. Basically, she took her son to Thailand at the age of 16 to have a uh, sex change operation, mm-hmm. which is illegal in the UK. She wasn't investigated by the police after this. Um, but uh, Posey Parker was investigated by the police for putting on Twitter that this is what had happened, which is... Uh, actually something that you know it's talked about uh, regularly by by mermaids and, and Susie green um and she was she was uh, spoken to by the police and uh, and was told that she was um yeah a wanted person and um oh, she was she sat there for seven hours while they asked her a lot of questions about her twitter i i, I keep getting out to this like the, what what came across to me in your emails is this core fear that these laws are going to be used. It doesn't seem like you're very much concerned with like trans men, but like there's going to be this upswelling of men who use the cloak of gender self ID to enter female mm. spaces and prey upon them. Yeah. And I just don't see that there's any evidence of that happening or being a real threat to happen. Okay. It- so I'll give you another example. Prisons in the UK. Uh-huh. So our UK prison population for women is 3,500 women. Okay. It's really small. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's congratulations, small we lead the world in, in, in locking up people, so huzzah. In, 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 in uh, male prison population, there's, I think, over 90,000 male prisoners. Holy 15... shit, that's a gender imbalance that has to be addressed. What the fuck, UK? <laughs> yes. How hateful um, towards men? <laughs> uh, 15,000 men in prison are currently identifying as female. So if we wait, say wait, that so all of those, 50, uh, sorry, 1,500 men. Okay, because um, you say 50,000, I was like, there's no way. There's no way. No, no, there's no, no sorry, way, like no. a fifth of male. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, 1,500. 1500 that seems believable. Uh, okay, all right, that seems believable. No, yeah. So if we had 1,500 men who are mm-hmm. identifying as women, mm-hmm. under gender self-ID, then go into women's prison populations, we are talking about nearly doubling the size of the women's prison population. Uh-huh. I mean, does that not seem a bit strange? But here's something I think is more strange. Uh, throwing Blair White into a male prison. 
right? Like yeah. that's a fu- that would be grossly unfair. That would be like a human rights violation uh, to 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 put a, a, a someone like that in a, in a male prison, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and, there, and the other thing trans, is, there are certainly transgender uh, facilities in some prisons, as far as I understand it. But you're advocating like building an exclusive because that's the other thing is like I I did some research before this call and it seems like that um, I, I didn't do any in the UK, um, but I, I did in the United States that there's lots of. Uh, you know, just in the female, because, you know, we have much larger, more established female prisons. Uh, there's a, quite a bit of sexual violence that goes on that between, you know, biologically female prisoners. Uh, there's coerced mm. sex. There is uh, all out sexual assault. There's rape um, by, you know, yeah. something, you know, like uh, uh, some of it's per- perpetuated by lesbian women. Some of it are just women, you know, uh, flexing their power, whatever. Um, it seems like that. The, 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 again, the fear is that you're going to have a bi- like you're going to have a guy like me say I'm a woman and like go in the woman's prison and get to like you know committing violence and rape when it seems like women are capable of doing that all on their own and also there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of that happening and if that happens that person would be a vile criminal that would have additional crimes heaped upon them like what's yeah. the in like it's almost like uh, there's this idea that. Uh, like I could declare myself as a woman tomorrow and I could go into the ladies room and I could open up their private stalls and be like, hey, what's going on here, girls? You're all no, I would be that would there'd be all kinds of laws I'd be violating. I'd be you know, if I'm touching them, I'm violating. I'm committing sexual assault. If I'm looking at them, I'm I'm committing voyeurism. And pe- like if a, if, 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 a, if a biological female stood on the toilet next to you and looked over the stall and started checking out your business and being sexually aggressive with you, she'd be committing a criminal act. Right. So, like, why is it uniquely a problem for trans women well so in the uk there have been uh sexual assaults by trans women i'm sure there have trans women women are are perfectly capable of being bad people (laughs) because they are um, people karen karen white's the name that everybody checks around but they have actually i think it's been i think it's seven attacks in the last uh few years on on um women by trans women and it's uh i think it's around uh, 5% of all attacks in, in women's prisons right now. I think there's about 160, something like that, trans women in, in British prisons. They're making up 1% of the population, but perpetrating around 5% of the sexual violence against women. Well, that's, I mean, I'm liberal enough to know that there's a well-known stat in America that despite being 15% of the population, African-Americans commit 50% of the crimes is not an indictment against black people necessarily. It's an indictment against the system. It's an indictment against society. It's an indictment against our economics. It's an indictment against our racist history in America, that that kind of disproportionate um, things are happening. Um, and I don't know, it might suggest there is some underlying unfairness in the gender uh, politics of your guys' penal system. If you have a vast, you know, like this, this huge imbalance between uh, men and women in prison and then a, s- a relatively small number of men to become trans women, like 1,500 is enough to, you know, become like 30% of your female population. I don't know. Maybe there's too many men in prison. Maybe there's too few women. Uh, is it like, I, do you understand why? Do you understand <laughs> why I'm saying that, like the, the straight percentage doesn't like super compel me? Cause I, I'd have to dig in to know like why exactly is that happening? And still we're talking seven in the last several years. Is that enough to uh, is 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 that compelling enough to then do real harm? Like, for example, forcing a person like Blair White's uh, Blair White or Natalie Wynn uh, into a men's prison because we're so worried about these very small exceptions of people who are already being they're they're already committing gross, heinous criminal acts that we're perfectly capable of prosecuting in society. It seems like there's just a lot of just just like base level fear. 
And I, I'm not saying it's, it's it's unfounded, you know, like that's, that's that's a rational fear that like, you know, the idea like a guy like me could go into a restroom or a women's rape center or a, uh, you know, a, a meeting for a, a lesbian support meeting or activist group and just force my way in. Um, but I just don't know if that's realistic because it seems like there's mechanisms like uh, if you had. Like, like, like um, I, that's one of these big concerns is like, you know, uh, trans women infiltrating lesbian spaces. All right. Yeah. Um, if you had just a regular biologically assigned at birth woman who is an aggressive person and a lesbian that comes in and starts dominating the meetings and making crude sexual suggestions to people and making unwanted sexual passes, what would you do with that person? Well, I mean, any anybody that's behaving in an appropriate way, in an appropriate way, you would ask them to to well, you you would exclude them, wouldn't you? Surely, if if yeah. that person is being unpleasant, if they're being graphic sexually, if they're making other people so necessarily wh- feel uncomfortable, why do we have to have um, an additional? I don't know how many lesbians do that, but uh... well, I mean, I don't know how many trans women do that either. But what I'm saying is, like, why do we have to have a special rule to exclude people to deal with a situation that we already can and do deal with? You know, like I said, the, the you know, um, I think what's going to happen in America is we'll have essentially gender neutral ra- restrooms and that we'll mm, just become yeah. culturally associated. Like, you know, you might take a shit next to a guy in a bathroom stall or we might not have urinals anymore. Everyone has their own individual stall like that's just going to become normalized. Um, but like, again, I can go into a women's restroom right now and make a and, 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 and be a sexual and, and sexual assault women and face legal reper- repercussions for it. So can a lesbian. So can a trans woman. Why do we need to set up an additional fence around trans women to to make that like extra hard for them to do? Do you understand what no, I'm saying? No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I do think that the bathroom thing can be a bit of a, a red hang, red herring sometimes. I mean, uh, you know, clearly trans people have been using the bathrooms of the opposite gender for, for a long time now. And, um, you know, there, there have been I mean, there have also been issues around voyeurism of women in bathrooms for a long time or men flashing women for a long time mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the fact that women are more likely to be um, victims of, of, of sexual violence or women are more likely to be victims of rape. Um so I, I think you have to take all of these things on balance, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, maybe maybe you need to crystallize it even more and we need to say, okay, so which, which sex-based spaces absolutely um, should be protected, you know? And, and um, for, for, for me, I think places like domestic violence refuges, for example, where you have women who have been brutalized by men who sure. have perhaps fled, fled a very difficult situation or unbearable situation, maybe with young children in mm-hmm. tow, um, and go to a domestic violence refuge where they are looking for security, looking for a, a place of solace, looking for a place to rebuild. Uh, and, and it should be the right of that domestic violence refuge to say, no, we deliver these services exclusively for women. But you because, know what I'm going to say, uh, right? you going to turn Blair White away from that women's violence shelter because her boyfriend beat her up? What you're using are two examples of very well passing. And I don't, I know trans people don't like, or, or, or some people don't like it when you talk about these sorts of things, but you're talking about two people who pass very, very well. That is certainly not the case for the majority of trans people. Because that's the thing where any, so when we start, we start about this parsing thing. And um, like, I think uh, from the other side, the gender critical side probably is uncomfortable with this is because when you start parsing things individually, like it's easy to find women that don't meet the criteria of women, you know? Yeah. So yeah, like, butch lesbians out there and again, don't. like or you, butch women generally. Yeah. And it's, it would be very, very unfortunate to have uh, um, a man who is a bad faith actor infiltrate a woman's space and take advantage of emotionally fragile, physically abused women. But it would also be a tragedy if a lesbian did that. And I guarantee that's happened in women's shelters before. 
Um, I'm sure I could find a case right now that a social worker who's a lesbian has taken inappropriate, uh, inappropriate advantage of her clientele and the people that she's supposed to be working for. Oh, with. come like, on, Aaron. You know that the levels of sexual violence against women are mostly perpetrated by men, not lesbians. In, in, in does fact, it it's happen, like, I mean, though? Like, and again, like if, if that happens, like with a trans man, a trans woman doing that in a woman's shelter, then, then she's committed a crime and she could be prosecuted. A trans woman is a man. And this is what, <laughs> ultimately a trans woman is a man. But you haven't established that. So I'm not going to let you get away with it. Trans women, you just said trans women are men. Yes. Blair White is a man. Biologically, yes. She's biologically male. But like, I don't know. This is where we're starting to get into like, that seems pretty mean spirited to... You know, to deny Blair White a, a bed at a women's a domestic violence shelter you because can ask Blair White what she thinks about um, domestic violence centers and whether or not men should be allowed in them. You can cherry pick any amongst any minority <laughs> and find a, a, any opinion that you want to support. Because as you mentioned, no community is a monolith. Um, no, I think that, in my estimation, Blair White has kind of what seems to be bad opinions, but you know, she has them and they're real. Just like there are people who, uh, you know, there's black people who deny that there's any systemic racism in America. That seems pants on head crazy to me, but they exist and their, their opinions are invalid. Um, they just had a much different lived experience or a much different uh, value system, much different things that they've learned than your average black person living in America. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Um, it does come to mind to like that, like it's, it's just like there is this fear that you're going to have a wave of men committing sexual violence against women under the guise of being you know, like like these these wolves in sheep's clothes, and it just doesn't seem like there's like priests in the Catholic Church. Hmm. Like priests in the Catholic Church. Well, <laughs> you know, if you if you if you provide a, a a way to enable people who are bad actors, they you think they're not going to take that opportunity? Of course they will. I mean, it it seems like the grant to that, like the validity to that analogy, you would have to say that what men are going to do is become like the uh, the the overwhelming. Um, directors of women's violent shelters and they're going to preferentially hire other men who are going to become you know high up like uh, overseers of the domestic shelters and they're going to commit sexual violence against women and then conspire to keep that from the press and whatnot and it seems like what we're really talking about is a uh the idea that a person's just going to come off the street pres presenting as a man saying that they're a woman and going in and and, and abusing and, and raping women in these shelters and it's just like if they do that then they're going to be prosecuted as criminals. Like there's not going to be an overwhelming support structure to keep that quiet. There's not going to be any social incentives to keep that quiet, right? Yeah, I'm not sure how much comfort that would be to the woman who's been violently raped in the place that she went to get away from rape. But but I mean, there's no there would be no comfort for that if they're you know uh, if if a woman uh, physically or sexually assaulted her either. Yeah, sure. But what I'm talking about is uh, is a big disparity in, you know, men um, having, uh, perpetrating sexual violence against women versus women perpetrating sexual violence against other women. I mean, they're, they're really not comparable positions. Because yeah, like, that's always the interesting question is like, why why do men commit more violence than than women? Uh, why do men commit more sexual violence against women? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't think that, as, as I was saying earlier, I don't think the scientists um, and academics are agreed on this, whether this is a, pro, uh, you know, a product of testosterone or evolutionary biology, or if this is a product of socialization. Mm -hmm. You know, these things are still up for debate and they're being looked at within, uh, within these circles. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a statistician. I usually go with what the, the numbers tell you. And if, you know, the way I've been taught to, to analyze things is you look for big and important differences. 
And um, when you look at, at, you know, the number of women getting raped or the number of women that are even you know, murdered, so two a week in the UK, um, murdered uh, in, through an act of domestic violence. And so when you see these sorts of numbers, um, you really have to say, OK, you know, we do have a problem with violence against women. This is something that obviously matters to, to feminists who are fighting for things sure. like domestic violence refuges and counselling and support and um, also education for, for young boys and men about these um, about how to kind of combat their aggressive nature or anger issues or, or whatever it might be. Um, so, so yeah, when you, when, you, when you see these things in, in black and white and uh, you are a person who, um, you know, confronted with gender self-ID where somebody, you know, who, was a, who could have identified as a man yesterday but as a woman today, and I know that's a very kind of black and white distinction, but let's just say, um, then I, I think you would be, I think it's fair to raise some concerns about what the impact of that might be. And like I said, I, I think that uh, there's two, there's three ways this can go. Uh, one is uh, we are people of good faith um, and uh, of good heart are raising concerns, and the we're going mm-hmm. to proceed as society. We're going to collect data. We're going to see if this is a real issue. Like I said, it seems very hard for me to believe that uh, we're going to accept a system that 50 years from now will have every single Olympic record held by a trans woman. Like that just seems like you would be signaling women that don't bother. So like yeah. in, in 10 years from now, if, if, if this is turning over the record books, then I think it'll probably be revisited. But in 10 years from now, if uh, we've been competing like this and, you know, yeah, there's a couple of noteworthy times where women have been outcompeted by trans women. Um, but, you know, there's still like tons of records and track and field and et cetera, et cetera, that are held by, quote unquote, biological real women. Then they will probably be like, oh, it's not as big a deal. And people still com- complaining about it will probably be seen as, you know little 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 uh uh stodgy and old-fashioned and then 10 20 years later they'll be considered kind of hateful and sexist right now the other way it could go is that uh you know we 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 look at this societal societal research and the other thing happens where it's like yes there's tons of men to start using this as a cloak to prey on women and uh the hue and cry will be massive and people like myself will uh you know that that don't that just want all good things to happen for everybody will step in and and uh we'll have uh some kind of good societal process over that i mean i wonder if in 10 10 20 years from now actually what we'll be seeing is a load of lawsuits uh by kids who were um transitioned um, using this affirmation model that you have in in the US um, and put on lifetime medical programs of hormones and surgery um, when they find out actually it was a, if, if, you know, and there have been quite a few detransitioners now coming out and talking about this, um, where they say they they feel like they've made a a really awful decision. So, uh, you know, I'm worried about what, what the impact of, of medicalizing kids in, in this way is. And if we're going to have a generation of kids where, especially with girls, because the, the, the fastest growing um, number of, of kind of trans identifying kids is teenage girls. And, and they're doing this in really huge numbers in the UK. It's sort of 40% increases um, year on year. The Tavistock is the UK gender identity clinic for children. It's the uh-huh. first gender identity clinic. And um, the number of referrals for under 18s was 678 in 2014 to 2015 mm-hmm. and was 2,500 in 2018 to 2019. And three times as many people uh, were female, assigned female at birth. Um, 1,740 were referred in 2018 to 19 as people assigned male, 624. So you've got three times as many girls Doesn't being, that make sense, um, though? referred than boys. Doesn't that make sense? Oh, well, really? Tell me why. Tell me why you think that is. Let me, let me, let me uh, spitball some ideas at you. Um, Go ahead. 
trans people have historically been seen as kind of like a joke or <laughs> a, a villainous figure uh, in similar ways to gay people. So just like we saw kind of an explosion in a number of people reporting as gay people um, in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, uh, it could be that now there's less stigma facing trans children, uh, trans people coming forward. So they're they're detran- they're they're transitioning. They're feeling more comfortable mm-hmm. um, doing that. Um, it's yep. also possible that um, it's a lot more socially acceptable for women to experiment with their sexuality and gender than it is for men. You know, like, I'm, uh, uh, so there is that, that like the idea that uh, a woman can become a man is not, you know, is, is, is inherently, um, you know, seen as more problematic or weirder by society. It has far less, I mean, trans men have far less acceptance, acceptance in social in society than trans women even, which don't have a great deal of acceptance. So it seems like, you know, when we're talking about like a very new kind of movement, when I, I, th- I think it's, it's fair to say that the trans, um, civil rights movement is pretty new. It doesn't surprise me to when, when there starts to be more light and more acceptance that a lot of, um, I, I don't think those numbers will like, you know, if you track those numbers over 20 years, it's not like, you know, a third of all UK people are trans people. I think those will eventually kind of level off like every other population does. But, yeah, uh, very likely. So, I mean, it's, it's a fair question though, to ask why, why are so many young kids now identifying as trans and why so many girls? And there are people who are trying to study this. They're finding it difficult because, uh, yeah, um, getting censored and, and uh, yeah, getting shut down. But they are trying to study this. There's somebody called Lisa Lippman, if you're interested, um, who is an academic at Brown. She coined the term rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is oh, this sort of that, yeah. phenomenon with, yeah, teenage girls basically presenting with gender dysphoria when they didn't have any sort of sy- symptoms or signals that they were gender dysphoric mm-hmm. um, during their childhood, when it normally presents, I think, gender dysphoria around the age of five, six, sort of quite, quite young. So now they're presenting. So they're trying to they're trying to understand this and they're trying to dig into this. And what they're finding, so they don't, they don't have a definitive answer, is that there are a number of correlations or a number of kind of commonalities. Uh, one of those is social media usage or online usage. Um, one of those things is friend groups. So a lot of kids have maybe one or two friends within their friends group who are trans identifying or non-binary. Quite a lot of these girls have um, eating disorders, autism. Um, anorexia, um, various other kind of mental health problems. And um, yeah, so what you're finding um, with, with some of these kids, <clears throat> with a lot of these kids, is that around 80% of them are growing out of, of gender dysphoria as they get older. So, um, you know, they might go through a, a stage when they're younger where they think that they, you know, identify as the other gender. And then, um, and then most of them grow out of it and become single sex orientated. So become you know, gay boys or, or gay men or, or mm-hmm. lesbian women. Okay. So what's so, the problem? <laughs> so if, if such a large proportion of these kids are growing out of it, uh-huh. why are we putting them on puberty blockers and hormones, which is essentially a fast track into transition, right? Because puberty because blockers, puberty is complete they, don't, they, if... they aren't irreversible, irreversible, if that's what you're going to say. No, I'm not going to say irreversible, but I do think that like uh, puberty is devastating to go through as a trans person, completely unmitigated. So like if a person is trans, uh, I do think that there's probably what's more harm is more harm to force a person as trans to go through a traditional male or female puberty and make permanent changes to their body and give them permanent uh, dysmorphia. Or is it better to put a child who's 13 or 14 on puberty blockers for a year or two? Uh, for them to work through those issues with their parents and their counselors and their medical professionals and then decide to transition or not. And, you know, people are going to, there are always going to be some people that regret their decision. There's people that regret, you know, getting boob jobs. There's people that regret uh, changing uh, all kinds of things about their social statuses and whatnot. Yeah, but you um, can't get a boob job at 13, can you? 
Well, you can't get. I mean, you also can't get put on hormones. You can get, you can get puberty blockers, which are not the same thing. How and, many? And how, like, how, what percentage of trans children do you think who get put on puberty blockers transition? I have no idea. It's almost a hundred percent. Then where are all these? Because like I also read that like there's a current medical information. And again, it's a lot in dispute. But it's somewhere between eight, one and eight percent of people detransition. Um, where is the huge numbers of people doing this, making a mistake, and then detransitioning? Or do you think that's a phenomenon that we're going to see in the next decade? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, there isn't any studies actually to say how many detransitioners there are. But we also really isn't. But 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 you know, the, again, we we know the statistics on like uh, trans teen suicide and young adult suicide, um, and you know that it seems yeah, like yeah. But you don't have to be put onto puberty blockers to then take hormones later in life and then detransition. Puberty blockers yeah, is something Kat, if that I, is if I, fairly I, new and given to kids, it, it, very it, young kids. If, if I went on if hormones when I was a seventeen-year-old girl and you take hormones, you're still going through a transition. You didn't take puberty blockers when you were thirteen, but yeah. But there again, if I if I went on hormones when I was eighteen, oh boy. I would, and I wanted to be a woman uh, and a, a, a traditionally uh, presenting and attractive one. I would have a rough hoe to road to, to, to a rough road to hoe. Um, so, like, I do think that the the idea that like, oh, just letting trans kids you know grow up and make their own decision at eighteen, it's nice, but like, you're also um, dismissing the absolute harm that going through puberty de- go, uh, does to you if you're you know in the wrong in the wrong body. I guess I need to see the stats about the hundred percent of children that go to do hormone blockers go on the transition because I, I was not under that impression. I thought it was a majority because, you know, if you're, uh, you know, uh, 14, 15 year olds are not exactly completely in the dark about who and what they are. Um, no, but they shouldn't, they, they shouldn't be allowed to make decisions about their body without their, pa- their parents' consent. I don't think. I think that's true. Uh, is there cases where teens are prescribed do- uh, uh, hormone blockers by doctors without their parents' consent or knowledge? Yeah, so 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 parents are um, yeah. If if a parent is, and this is where where this sort of cult thing comes in for me, is if a parent is is kind of raising concerned, they're considered to be not within this affirmation model. So you know what I mean by the affirmation model. Hmm. Affirmation model is where you turn up and you say, I have this, and the, the psychological association says, oh, yes, yes, you absolutely have. We need to support you with this. We give you – whereas it's, a diff- it's very different from the confirmation model, which is where somebody comes and they say, I think, I, I think I'm a boy, and they say, okay, well, let's explore that. Let's ask you lots of questions about it. Is there anything else that's going on? Is there this? Is there that? Can we get – you know? So there's this sort of affirmation model where if you are a parent who is dissenting, if you are a parent who's kind of uh, suggesting that they have concerns about this because – you know, a, a few years ago, everything seemed fine, and it does seem to be something that is associated with puberty, um, well, I mean, which, that's... Which, which, which you get, which you get with rapid onset gender dysphoria, is that kind of puberty hits, and some 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 girls are now sort of uh, presenting as gender dysphoric because it's but that's how it, say, that's it how it would happen. Like you know, uh, pu- like I there's not a huge difference in mi- boys and and girls physiolo- uh, physiology. Not until they not until they hit puberty. Right. No. So it's not a shocker to find that, you know, people start having dysphoric feelings and, and wanting to get those taken care of in puberty, right? Yeah. So, so if, if you are then a parent who is saying, oh, I'm a little bit concerned about this or I don't, I don't quite uh, go along with this or whatever, then you're told, well, you, your child might have suicidal thoughts if you, if you don't, you know. Or, That's um, true though, right? You're, you're a, yeah. And, and, and of course, no parent wants to be responsible for their child having suicidal thoughts or responsible for the suicide of their child, of course. Right. Uh-huh. So you're, it's like Sophie's choice then, really. You're there thinking you're, you're there with the decision to put your child on um, some sort of fairly experimental and drugs that we don't really know the long term effect of yet, because these are still, you know, they haven't been around for that long. There isn't that, that kind of long term research 
or potentially being responsible for your child feeling suicidal. I mean, is that any choice at all? I mean, it's a it's it's, it's rough. Choice. But on the other hand, you know, parents have been fucking up their kids since time immemorial. Like my parents fucked me up. I didn't have an ideal. Uh, you turned out okay. Ah, uh, I went through a lot. <laughs> I've, I've I've gone through a long road to get to where I'm I'm at now. Um, but like it does seem like who else should be making those decisions if not the child? And, and maybe there needs to be more study in this affirmation model. Maybe instead of like, cause I, I, I see a perfect, honestly, I don't see a reason why you shouldn't hasten to put a child on a puberty blocker when they're 13 or 14 and they're saying these things now, like then you should spend a couple uh, a year or two really investigating that. And there should be some education. There should be some, you know, discussions with doctors. There should be discussions with probably psychologists, uh, child psychologists and whatnot. But like the idea that like I would, I think I would feel really bad about legislation that says you just can't give children puberty blockers or they can't take hormones until they're 18. Um, that seems like you're just going to consign a whole bunch of trans kids to, 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 you know, feeling permanently bad about themselves. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not an easy one, is it? I don't think we've got all the answers. Well, that's why there's but, a lot of, um, there's a lot of heat and but, emotion to it. Sure. Because you're right. It is a bit of a Sophie's choice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I think we need to be doing the research. I think we need to be asking the questions. I think we need to be um, speaking to the kids. I think we need to be, uh, you know, really, really getting to the to the nuts and bolts and really understanding this. But, um, you know, when you do try to ask these questions, when you do try to talk about it, then you get told it's transphobic because it's not within the affirmation model. Um, it's, not, it's not something that, you know, nobody's uh, questioning the validity. What we are questioning is the severe medicalization of children. Right? When when there might be another pathway for some kids, if we know a lot of kids grow out of gender dysphoria. I mean, I'm not going to disagree that there's not a lot of um, criticism and strong emotions generated and like by research and whatnot. Um, but on the other hand, like a lot of the people that are outspoken and, you know, anti-trans activists, uh, uh, gender critical people, trans exclusionary radical feminists, whatever you want to call them. It does seem like that is that that is frequently bound up in a lot of what I would call transphobia. Like a lot of the really public facing people that have Twitter accounts and are making videos and sharing this. And it does seem like there's this undercurrent of hostility to the idea of, of, of trans women, especially when you're talking about like non-binary gender expression and stuff like that. There's like open hostility. I don't think it's like it's if it was all framed in like, hey, we're just asking questions. Hey, we're getting, trying to get to the best medical uh, or trying to get to the best medical answers. I don't think there would be I mean, there's still going to be a lot of heat and light, like just like. People doing studies on race-based science, people doing studies on any kind of, uh, you know, uh, interface of gender with politics, gender with power, gender with economic uh, issues. Um, I think that's always... really unfair to the academics who are working in this. I mean, these people really, you know, they've been working with um, gender dysphoric kids for, for, for decades, you know, and, and to now sort of throw their work into question because what it's transphobic to, to do this type of research, I think is, no, what's well, I, 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 is, the, is the temperature has changed, is the ideology has changed. That's what's changed that we now aren't able to do that, to ask these questions. Well, but it's, it's like, it seems like un, that's, it seems um, uncharitable in the other direction to dismiss this all as ideology because this is people's lives, mm. you know, the, 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 the trans sure. do have a disproportionate um, rates of sexual violence and all yeah. those other things. So it's Didn't like, I say that in the beginning? You I did, did but also like, um, also I've also seen instances where people, um, you know, like Blair White, uh, tout research that the own researchers kind of disavow the conclusion she's come from because like again it's like 
I, you know, and that's why I said all this stuff about, um, you know, my problems with with gay people in the beginning is because I didn't base that on like some kind of inborn hatred inside me. It was stuff that I'd read. It was studies. I, you know, there weren't no studies done on, you know, in, in, in packs of, of of gay people raising children. Um, and there's studies that show that it was harmful. There's a vast majority of studies that, you know, uh, show, show that it's the not. opposite now, right. right? That you can have a very happy, loving home with two gay but parents. But those things were controversial at the time. And it was, I think, telling that. I had only seen the studies that later were discredited, later had some problems, had some sample size problems, had some underlying methodological mm-hmm. issues. Um, and I didn't see the the growing consensus amongst other researchers that this is actually fine and OK. And again, you know, we're at the, the very beginning of this trans issue. I guess I'm just a little gun shy about taking a community and ascribing like bad faith motivations to them and to their allies. And uh, like I said, I'm not saying there's not concern here because we're, we, you're, you're, what you're saying about the hormone blockers and all that stuff is true. There's not a lot of research. We just started this, but we started mm-hmm. this not for, because we wanted to make trans kids, right? We started this, these, these therapies no. because we saw trans kids were slitting their wrists and hanging themselves. And, you know, having a, a real hard this, time. A lot of this is coming from a very good place, just like you say, right? Yeah. A lot of this is coming from, you know, genuinely wanting to help people, to help gender dysphoric kids. Yeah. And I see, I mean, th- there can only be positives with that. Yeah. But we have to think about this when, when um, we're talking about irreversible decisions that mm-hmm. children are making about their bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I... I um... But I, I do think that there is a little bit of um, like we'd have to we're going to run out of time to talk about it, but we'd have to go through case by case. I do think like, you know, there's it's not for nothing that J.K. Rowling is decried as a turf. And there's, you know, a lot of uh, trans kids that uh, I don't know. If do, you think bur- tra- do you think the tweet that she wrote was transphobic? Which one? Because there's been there's been a bunch. <laughs> the one, the, I the think Maya saying I think I think at this point in 2020, you're kind of an asshole if you make a tweet that says men are biological men and women are biological women and that's a scientific fact like that is a pretty shitty thing to tweet just like it's (laughs) it's shitty thing to tweet that despite being despite being 50 percent of the population blacks commit 50 percent of the crimes that's a fact but you're an asshole if you tweet it without any kind of like uh you know explanation or any kind of like hey here's the this is the reasons why or there's you know like unless you go out of your way to defang the venom of that statistic then you are kind of a jerk and i think that jk with her platform whenever she comes up there to like you know say something like that with no nuance is inviting criticism and is kind of being a a bit of a jerk especially again considering the large global platform that she has um Mm. and i'm not saying she should be thrown in jail for it but for sure fans being an uproar that she's like kind of betraying ideals that they you know i'm trying to imagine of like you know her going back and rewriting the you know scary man woman that came into the moaning myrtle's bathroom and made made uh, hermione feel uncomfortable like that would it's kind of weird that someone who wrote so elegantly and beautifully about you know people's various lived experiences and how we should all get along and strive to understand each other and not like have knee-jerk reflexive takes on things it is kind of I can see that's a little tragic to a Harry Potter fan to see her kind of making common cause of the people who maybe not being so thoughtful. Yeah, I think um, I actually feel like there were also a lot of people who read that tweet. People like yeah. me who are who are gender critical, who um, you know really felt supported in that moment because um, it, it is it is hard to to talk about this yeah. topic. It is hard to have the opinion that I have. Um, uh, in, in certain circles, and certainly in leftist circles. So the Labour Party, the party that I've uh, voted for a few times, Left mm-hmm. Party in the UK, um, they put a pledge out, uh, a, a pledge for the Labour Party, which was that if you don't um, subscribe to a number of their uh, views, such as that you mm-hmm. don't, if you don't believe trans women are women, 
then they want you out of the party. They want you kicked out of the party for stating an opinion uh, that, you know, you don't, you don't believe that that's the case. And, and you have a good reason for believing that. It's a fair opinion. You might not agree with it. You might not like it. That's exact same shield that people who said, hey, it's just my opinion that gays shouldn't be married. It's just my opinion that whites and blacks can't live together. It's just my opinion that women are inherently inferior to men. I'm sorry. I'm not being offensive. It's just my it's just my opinion. It's it's a but thing why is I firmly biology believe. offensive? Does that not no one is. I don't I think it's I think it's very uncharitable to say that trans people are upset that they are forced to recognize that they're biologically male or female at the end of the day. Their chromosomes match that like it's almost always because they're being shit on or they're being misgendered intentionally in public or they're being barred uh, access to areas that they need for some reason, be it a domestic violence center or a a women's support group, because, you know, they do have a lot of as they start living as women's experiences, they're going to start having women's issues. Right. And they're not going to be the same as uh, like a person who's born a woman, but then hardly any woman like a a uh, this is something I'm finding out in like American liberal spaces is like when you throw like white feminists and black feminists together. Boy, you can have some explosions because they didn't yeah. did not have the exact same lived experiences. Should we segregate them or should the white women maybe listen to the black women's experiences? And from time to time, the black women listen to white women's experiences. Um, it feels like there's a lot more that than, you know, the, 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 the idea that that men are using these as, as ways to invade women's spaces. But again, we're kind of time early days tell, and, right? and time will time tell. Will tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just like I said, I, I think... Um, Whenever the majority of the time, and I'm going to say all the time, majority of the time when I've seen a person getting kind of quote unquote takedown for their uh, political belief, there's been an element of unkindness uh, or, you know, um, unnecessary boldness or with which I think we all agree is a, is a still a very touchy situations developing, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, okay. But I re I really have to say that this both sides thing is a little bit, I I find it a little bit difficult to swallow because honestly, I don't hear, I, I mean, I'm quite active with gender critical circles on Twitter and things like that. And I just don't hear the kind of, um, I sort just, of language that is used to describe. So, uh, you know, if you're a turf, you're a Nazi, you're a fascist. Really? Really? You're a fascist? You literally want to round, round people up and put them in concentration camps? You want to uh, stick symbols on them? I mean, really? If, so you believe, if you're a trans exclusion, you're a Nazi? So, so, like, if I was a centrist... And I have a couple leftists on my timeline, but 90% of my timeline is the likes of like Richard Spencer and, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, Blair White and uh, um, uh, shit. I've, I've been Dominic and uh, I just, you know, whatever kind of like alt right Ben Shapiro reactionaries. I think you could fair, you, you could say that like, well, okay, you, what do you, what do you really believe and what are you actually exposing yourself to? And I think that's where a lot of the, you know, I think it wasn't JK Rowling's another problem is that she's making these statements and then people look at the, who she's following and she's following far more people who identify as uh, gender critical people and, and, yes, and how radical dare she feminists. Who she wants to on Twitter. Well, it's, <laughs> man, I just, I don't, if you don't see the problem with that in a, if you don't see a problem with that in a, in a rapidly developing issue, then I guess I don't understand, um, you know, because, the dangers of putting yourself in an echo chamber on a rapidly developing situation. Um, I mean, thank God I didn't do that to myself in the late nineties, early two thousands, or I might've turned out to be a real, like I could have been um, gone from accidental homophobe to a a permanent one. And as I said, like I, I, as I said, it's like, I, I, 
maybe there are examples, but it seems like there are just a lot. The people are getting in, in real trouble. The people are losing their jobs and stuff. It's not just because they said something like, hey, you know, from a scientific perspective, there's a male gender and there's a, there's a female gender and that's it, buddy. Like, hey, I mean, it's about like it's always there's always a little bit of challenge. There's always a little bit of like less than there's always a little bit of a put down to that. Just in a way like I, you know, like if I if, if I limited my discourse in the in the late 90s to like, you know, I'm just uncertain about this, you know, gay marriage thing, but we'll see. That'd be a lot more defensible than like openly, you know, engaging in arguments about like gay people. It's irresponsible that gay people adopt children. Um, you know, uh, the fact that like a man would marry another man would destroy the fabric of society because we're all built around male female marriages and that kind of a cohesive bond and blah. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's ways to talk about it in a responsible, respectful well, way, and there's ways to go crazy. I mean, with it. there are people who still have that opinion now about gay people. And, and I they, mean, they, they, they and they, if they are out and loud about it, they better be self-employed or not in government yeah. work because they're going to be written, ran out because people just don't put up with that. Um, and maybe, yeah. like I said, I, and I, I think there's, you know, like you can definitely see where there's people that are, you know, maybe um, I don't know that researchers and stuff that are, they're facing um, um, maybe backlash that they shouldn't. But also, man, there's just tons and tons of trans people getting treated like shit out there, too. So like they are hypersensitive to being misgendered and they are hypersensitive to being dismissed and, and uh, you know, having their concerns not taken seriously. Um, yeah, I guess there's also a lot of trans people who don't necessarily feel that way. And I follow quite a lot of them on YouTube mm-hmm. and they, you know, feel quite comfortable and, you know, in their own in their own words, you know, to call out this sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, moral outrage or hysteria about uh you know the potential slight um that, that somebody construes because quite frankly it's not your right not to be offended i i you know it's not a virtue to go around offending either people either <laughs> you know what i'm saying well it, well, it, well it isn't but if you're if you're worried if you go around worrying all the time about offending people then quite frankly you're not always going to speak the truth are you yeah but like i also i've never seen a person fired for like the very first time they accidentally misgendered someone too right like i've 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 um in my public career i've said a lot of stupid shit um because i didn't know like i you know i started podcasting 10 years ago and i was pretty much still in my uh you know, libertarian kind of centrist. And I said a lot of stupid things about race. I said a lot of stupid things about sex. I said a lot of stupid things about, um, um, you know, not, not even stupid. I think by the time I got to trans, I was, but like less than supportive or ally. And I've never been canceled because I've never like my reaction is people has never been like, well, fuck you. You just, oh, you got offended snowflake. It's always been like, you know, um, like sometimes people come at me very hateful. And like I've had uh, s- several people that have like really blown up my spot. And um, I try to read it and maybe not engage with them, but like think about it. And I've had a lot of people saying like, hey, man, I know you probably didn't mean it this way, but boy, as a black man, I really when you said X, Y, Z in the podcast and here's the reason why. And I take that shit to heart and I try, you know, um, when you hit new novel instances, you're going to step into some landmines. Like if you're traveling abroad, you're probably going to offend people's cultural sensibilities and whatnot. And there's like I mean, that's the the, the crazy thing is like, uh, you know, like what what race means in America is completely different than what race means in like the UK and what race means in yeah. South America and what race means in China. Uh, and I think we all get that, but there's also kind of like, you know, broadly speaking, uh, you can disagree with that being an asshole. And I feel like, you know, uh, I've I treated you with that respect. I think you've treated me with that respect, but I also think on probably both of our sides there, are, you know, there's people saying kill turfs. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, make excuses or avow that. And when there are people who are gender critical and they're saying shitty things about trans people and making, uh, you know, uh, maybe ugly trans women feel bad about their presentation. I think that's despicable. And I, that absolutely happens. And if you're not seeing it, 
then 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 I, I i don't know um yeah i mean i'm not saying it doesn't happen I, of course not but um the i think the platform that you're given to say these things matters right so yeah. if it's if it's a, an account on twitter mm-hmm. um that you're, you're kind of spewing your kind of anonymous account rubbish out into the into the kind of public square that is twitter then okay that's one thing but if you're given a a platform in the media or if you're given a platform by the most powerful lgbt um q organization in britain say Mm -hmm. stonewall for example Mm -hmm. to say you know turfs are hateful um uh turfs are nazis turfs are fascists if you're given that platform to do that then i I, you know i think you've got to question it really and say hang on a minute do we really know the different definition of of what a fascist is here Mm -hmm. of what somebody who is you know a Nazi, for goodness sake, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a real problem because, like, you know, I'm friends with people that are conservative. It's getting harder to be. Um, but, like, I know that they do not like to um, be considered, like, you know, lumped in with the others. But the, the, the point of fact is if you're – if a side doesn't denounce um, – the people that are behaving badly on their side, then they give themselves, uh, you know, there, there's a little bit of moral license to like be lumped in. And if you make common cause with people who have, you know, kind of odious, um, uh, uh, attack driven rhetoric and you don't call that out, then, you know, it's very easy for people to, to, to paint you with that same, same brush. And like, I, I say the same thing. Like I've made it very, like when I use my platform, I made it very clear that like, I'm socialist curious, but I am not eat the rich. I'm not get the guillotines out. I am not like ready to take armed revolt against my, my uh, country. Um, it may get to that point, but it's at this point, like I'm not going to wave this hammer and sickle. Like, I think that's all a bunch of foolishness and a uh, bunch of people that uh, haven't really thought out the positions and i i don't really want that kind of sentiment in my community um and i feel like there's been you know and i honestly i'm constantly disappointed by everyone uh on social media and politically because very few people take that that the opportunity to be that that thoughtful and and their approach and i feel like that that's where um turfs and gender critical people have gone wrong is that they're you know it's a minority opinion and when you have a more minority opinion or it seems to be a more minority opinion maybe that's you take issue with that um but it seems like you do are incentivized to find common cause with people and maybe excuse things that you wouldn't uh otherwise um but like i said i also acknowledge that there's bad behavior on the other side uh you know burning places down spray painting turf graffiti etc cetera, etc cetera, that's that should be called out for sure yeah making yeah, people definitely. feel unsafe um, no, I think I think really what you want is is a, a reasonable debate, a fair, you know, to have that in a in a kind of a fair forum uh, where voices are heard and and where you can try and build some bridges because um, it, it feels like battle of the sexes sort of gone mm. gender crazy yeah. and 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 it, it it doesn't feel good um, and it, it feels really quite desperate right now, in, especially with the partisan. I, I mean, I'm partisan politics in the US, but certainly in the UK as well and. Uh, pre-COVID, you know, we have the we have the Brexit thing going on, and um, we are very divided people. And um, yeah, I, I would prefer that there's reasoned and fair debate, and that we do the research, that we look at the numbers, uh, and and then we we create policy on that, based on that. You know, I guess that's the other thing is like, um, and maybe we can wrap things up at, at here. But like, mm. it is, I I don't know, because like. Um, uh, I, I kind of came, I had this opinion coming in this conversation. I'm, I'm going to leave in this con- the, with the, conver- the, the, the same opinion of this conversation. Um, when I look at the world today and I see all the problems in it, and then I see like what gets a lot of views on YouTube. Like for example, um, I see like some of this gamer gate and bro nonsense where they're all up in arms about, you know, gay representation and, and video games and their favorite movies and stuff. And I always think like, damn, 
really with all the crazy shit going on in America right now, there is oxygen and um, political will to spend capital like tilting at this particular thing. I feel a little bit like with trans issues too, that like um, it seems like the amount of heat and light generated is out of proportion to the other society, the ills of society. Like the fact that it was annoying to me that like marriage, the gay marriage debate was like a, a, a like a big divisive issue in America when in a, in a point in time where we were engaged in like all these illegal wars and when like the middle class was being looted by, uh, you know, the, 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 the politicians and the, the, the wealthy corporate ordinaries, blah, 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 the billionaires. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Bezos and all that. Like why? But on the other hand, like if I'm a gay person, I understand like why it's important to them. And I guess I understand a little bit why a, a woman would have a problem like with all the issues or all the potential issues I could understand. But it does seem like it's a little bit out of proportion to the other things going on in society. And that's the thing I guess I, I, I find confusing. Um, why is so much political capital being spent on this when there does seem like I think we'd agree to just much, much bigger societal ills like why is like a person like blair white spend the vast majority of their time um you know going on about you know some of the negative aspects of transitioning people and like non-binary presentations and stuff versus all the other things going on in america for example do you have any like personal insight into that or um well, no, I guess we would have to ask people like Blair or, or Rose of Dawn or, or um, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you that there are, you know, obviously really big issues right now. But um, if you look at it from the perspective of somebody who is gender critical, uh, the, the thought that um, being a woman, that uh, being, being a female, that the thought that this definition might be changed, might be erased, might become something that um, you do not feel uh you're a part you're necessarily a part of or has been kind of expanded to include somebody else if you feel that that erasure on the horizon if you feel that you know then then maybe to you you feel like that's the most important thing in the world huh man i wish we'd spend more time talking about that how how is the existence of trans women erasing the concept of women though i guess doesn't it expand it rather than erase it so you must have seen things like um, uterus havers or menstruators or people with periods, mm-hmm. right? So even the word woman is not being used to describe somebody who is having a uh, uh, something that only happens to women, right? Only women menstruate. Not all, but only women do that. Only mm-hmm. women have, have uterus. It's not, again, not all, but o- mm-hmm. only women do. And so um, I, I think a lot of women find it incredibly insulted to be reduced to uh you know, essentially an, a piece of their biology, their uterus or, or, or whatever, um, when word, the word woman has been has been doing us fine the last kind of several hundreds of uh, thousands of years or, or whatever, and, and there's not been any, any problem with it. And now we have to do some sort of mental gymnastics uh, in order not to offend someone. Can't we just say women? Well, but that's like, you know, um, I remember during the gay uh, marriage debate, uh, some uh, gay people took to derisively referring to straight people as breeders. Uh which the people against gay marriage did did not appreciate, uh, but they kind of did it to right. themselves by making that part of the essential thing. Like, well, if, you know, if the whole point of having being married is to have children. Then, you know, fuck you, people, for not being able to have children. Like, it seems like those things are being used against the gender critical people is because they're trying to boil down the essence of being a woman into having those organs. So the trans people are turning that weapon against y'all. Does it feel, feels like to me? 
Yeah, I mean, they all scream uh, that we are biological or, or that gender critical feminists are biological essential or biology essentialists mm-hmm. um, when they say, oh, you're just reducing us to our penis when we want to use your toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, but then to turn around and then reduce us to uterus havers feels a bit like uh, so, some fairly weak Yeah, source. I don't know. I don't know which came. I don't know which came first. <laughs> it seems like the trans people would be discriminated against first um, since they were kind of an unknown, unspoken segment of society till a couple decades ago. But like, I don't know. You mean t- trans people were dis- discriminated against before women were discriminated against? Look, I'm not going to say that women are not discriminated against. <laughs> not discriminated against that, let, let alone historically. No, but like, I do you think that there's not been trans people throughout the the history that have had to just essentially live covert lives because society just wouldn't tolerate them? Like the idea that they could be, you know, in a, like it's not their oppression Olympics, but like they got they got they they've got a couple of these bronze medals, right? <laughs> if there were. I- I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, because it seems like read. if they're trying to present as a woman, they got all the problems of being a woman in society, plus the fact that society doesn't want to reject the very validity of their existence. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know. I have to go back through the history books, I guess. Well, anyway, it's been a nice conversation, and I appreciate that. Like, it's been a long conversation. Uh, it's been a very long it? conversation, and I feel like uh, we could go hours and hours more. As you said, this is uh, we're going to see this play out in the next decade or two, and then, uh, to the extent that uh, these fears are warranted, um, you know, history will, will, I guess, vindicate the gender critical people. To the extent that they're not, I guess I expect to see the gender critical people to migrate over to Transland. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't see that happening myself. But um, I, what I'm. What I wanted to do was to just give a different perspective, uh, to share some gender critical viewpoints, um, to hopefully show that there's there's not. This is coming from a place of hate. Um, that what this is coming from is is really a place of concern. Yeah. Mostly for women and children, right? So this this is not. You know, this is not. This is not sort of me expressing bigotry in any way. No, that's, it's that's me wh- wanting to have a, have a very fair and reasonable conversation. I feel about that's why issues. I want to open with my views on homosexuality because I know that that probably makes a lot of people uncomfortable because you know I'd get told all the time, "Oh, you're such a great guy, you're such a great ally," but I wasn't always. Um, and I, at no time when I had my head up my ass did I ever hate gay people. Uh, much less like people of different races and, and creeds. It was just I was concerned. I had some concerns. Um, I felt like uh, some of these concerns were being taken seriously by society. Um, and, you know, uh, so regardless of how it turns out, I don't think that people necessarily that ask these questions have any hate in their heart. And even if people, um, I, you know, like I said, you can definitely see people that do, but like um, I don't think that it's necessarily because it wasn't in my case. And I know like a lot of like in my Jehovah's witness community, there's probably about 10% of people that's really hated gay people. 90% was more like me, you know, going along with the crowd, not really super informed about it. Um, society changing around you being concerned with that. So like, yeah, I, I don't think it's helpful to talk in terms of like hate and fear. It's more of like facts, statistics. What are your about? What are the concerns? Um, how can we address them? And uh, how can we do that in a way that doesn't make people feel disrespected? And certainly, you know, um, acknowledges that there's a lot of pain being caused um, by Yeah, this by is society. not about taking anybody's rights away. This is about making sure that, um, uh, you know, you fully investigate when there is a conflict of rights. And, and then, you know, hopefully you do the right thing for the for the most amount of people at risk. Well, that's really what you, the, the, be, the best that you can hope for, isn't it? Yeah. 
Well, thanks for coming on. I mean, I um, it would be interesting to uh, I hope to have more conversations like these um, because like my my uh, it's it's nice to have it. I'd love to have a, a like a trans person on uh, or especially a non-binary mm, binary person. I've been trying to get a particular one uh, to come on the show um, to because to, to, like to, that's, that's the other awkward things. Not only is it I'm a man talking to you about trans women's issues, but the fact that <laughs> we're talking about a community that's not even in the room. Yeah, it's a little awkward gossip. Get a trans person on if you can, I think that would be a very good idea. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know it's really late there in the UK. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Real pleasure. Yeah. I'll talk to you Have later. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. I appreciate Nat for coming on the show. Thanks once again, Nat. And I appreciate you for making it through to the end of our conversation here. To wrap things up, it's long been kind of my intuition that to progress as a people, we're going to need everyone on our side all pushing together uh, for the things that we all need. We can't afford to say to any type of person, any class of person, Uh, You know, you're just going to have to wait in line for us to get uh, some traction on X, Y or Z agenda, because until we get until we get that done, we just we just can't get around to your rights and your needs, because that's a surefire way to lose that person's support. And we win or lose on percentage points. We just can't afford to turn away uh, any types of people to our cause. But what do we do here when we have a dispute between trans people and liberal feminists in this case? What do you do? I really encourage everyone to think about the claims and research the things that we talked about on on both sides of this debate. It's not that women like Nat are wrong to be hypervigilant against future attacks against themselves because women, you know, by and large, have been subjugated by society since the inception of civilization, if not before. And tearing down the legal wall between what it means to be women and men is scary because those legal walls have offered women very real protections. So they came by these fears honestly. But on the other hand, trans people are a very tiny part of our society. Most think they're less than 1% of any given population. And so for these people of the gender critical or the the turf persuasion, for their fears to be realized, it seems to me that one of two things have to be true. One, trans people are just much more prone to criminal behavior than the general population. Or two, a significant portion of men are willing to superficially conform to feminine presentations in society in order to gain access to women to abuse them. And I just don't think either of those things are true. And to the extent that there are isolated instances of abuse happening, we can prosecute them under existing laws. And meanwhile, in this entire conversation, trans men are kind of just standing over in a corner like McNulty from The Wire asking, the fuck did I do? You know, they're often left out entirely from this conversation. I found in my case that everyone who holds a harmful idea is not willing to self-label that idea as such. In my past, I was never homophobic. I just had serious concerns about gay marriage undermining the fabric of stable society and the impact on kids that wouldn't be able to grow up with both a male and female figure in their lives. And that seems just silly and foolish to me now, but it was a real concern I had at the time, or at least it was a concern that I was taught to have. And people... Uh, such as myself, who hold or, or, or held harmful ideas can be nice and articulate and well-spoken and have a lot of love in their hearts. In the end, I think most of these good people are going to see themselves on the right side of, of history, given enough time, information, and support. And hell, maybe I'm the guy with harmful ideas. I, I don't think so, but it's, it's possible. And I guess we'll see if in the next few years, the worst that Kat and J.K. Rowling fear take place in our society. But you know, even then... I'd be pulling for us to find a solution that protects women and still gives trans people their rights and their dignity uh, and their place in society. Meanwhile, 
as this debate kind of rages, trans people still are experiencing homelessness, death, suicide, and discrimination at rates far higher than their cis counterparts. And those aren't nebulous fears that may or may not be realized. They're happening right now. Comments, criticism, questions, all welcome on this topic or any other. Please send them to 3RT at SwizzBold.com. If you enjoy what we're doing here at Three Right Turns, please consider supporting us at Patreon.com slash SwizzBold. By becoming a patron, you'll access exclusive perks like custom Reddit flair, as well as access to our ever-growing library of monthly live streams. And at this point, I'd like to thank all of our Fred-level patrons by name. Thank you, Greg Rasp, Brian Rasmussen, Jared Harrelman, Jordan Hoyt, George P. Burdell, Arvind Rao, Laura Luthi, Marcon, Angela, Angelo Marano, Kira Grusho, and James Taylor. Thank you very much. We couldn't do our thing here at SwizzBold without you. That's going to wrap things up uh, for this week. Uh, Cecil and I will be back soon with another one weird trick to give you some tips and advice on how you can live happier, healthier, more successful lives. Join me back here next week for more battle reports from the vanguards of society. Until then, I hope you have a great week. Yeah.